here it is. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hi, this is Jake Toko with Rocky Mountain Construction, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, this is Adam Sandy with Zamperla, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, I'm Arthur Levine from Above Theme Parks, and you're listening to Coaster Challenge Podcast. This is Marcus Lashock, the Roller Coaster Bureau Chief at WGN TV Studios in Chicago. You are listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Coaster Challenge Podcast is here. It's time to face your fears. Get that theme park therapy and let us both your Coaster ears. Challenge Podcast is here. Your fear can disappear. We know that theme park therapy can dry up all your tears. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? We accept because you know we're not average. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. A journey where people become fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please, secure your hats and glasses, and keep your hands and arms inside the podcast. It's time to accept the Coaster Challenge with your hosts, Andrew Locke. Hi everyone, this is Andrew, one of the producers of the Coaster Challenge podcast. I've got a very special guest here with me today. So as all of us know, as enthusiasts and theme park and coaster lovers, there aren't a ton of ride manufacturers and coaster manufacturers, but there are definitely a, a couple of handfuls of them, a few handfuls of them, and enough where they are you know, certainly all over the world, or at least kind of in several different areas. There's some here in the US, there's some in, in Asia, and there's certainly a number of them in Europe, in particular Germany. And it's not surprising for me personally, as, as a lot of our long-term listeners, long-time listeners, I should say, no. One of my other hobbies besides theme parks and coasters is cars and sports cars. And so this is kind of an area, kind of a personal thing for me. I've always been very impressed with Germany's uh, engineering. Their prowess is just, it's almost second to none in the entire world, even compared to the Japanese and, and here in, in the United States. And you can see that again with their automobile manufacturers, for example, the incredible high quality and, and renowned companies like BMW, Porsche, Mercedes, Volkswagen, Audi, etc. And so again, it doesn't surprise me or probably most of us that Germany would have some great ride manufacturing. So we're going to talk to one of those today. Coaster Challenge Podcast is proud to welcome from Mauer Rides, Business Development Executive, Steve. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today. Awesome. We're glad to have you. So you're uh, you're uh, the latest in a number of ride manufacturers, coaster manufacturers that we've had on, and we uh, we want to interview all of them, you know, because we're not looking to, you know, make any preference towards one or the other, just like we're trying to interview uh, as many parks as we can. We, again, had good success there as well. So we're excited to add Mauer Rides to our uh, our stable, if you will, of, of companies that we've uh, connected up with. So, um, you know, before we talk about Mauer Rides, we're going to talk about you personally, Steve, and, and kind of, you know, hopefully learn something about you and maybe help you learn some things about yourself at the same time and learn about us. So to, to start with, in terms of that learning process, um, why don't you tell myself and your audience a little about yourself, uh, you know, maybe where you live and your your background, um, you know, you know, your enjoyment of the parks, 
Uh, and you know, you know, I know you work in the industry, obviously, maybe your history of working in the industry, that sort of thing. Yeah. No, no. Thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, I grew sure. up in Orlando. Uh, like a lot of kids, I, I enjoyed, I had the opportunity to go to the Disney parks. When I was a kid, there was only the Disney park. Universal wasn't around. And I have a big imagination. And so I enjoy going to the parks and being immersed in, in that heavy theming that Disney does so well as, as a kid. And I just always enjoyed, and I still enjoy that when I go to a park. It's probably the first thing that draws me to a park when I go there is I, I start to see the theming and how 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 did they do it if, if it's a theming park. Of course, I see all parks of all levels. So some parks are not a theme park. They're an amusement park. And if it's right. a carousel, it's a carousel today, right, which is fine. Um, so I take that for what it is, but then I start looking at the carousel and say, well, why do I like this carousel? What do I find unique about it? And so, uh, I take it all in totality. And, and so growing up in Orlando was, gave me a, uh, an experience at a, at a young age, that a lot of people would probably envy, uh, from that, the biggest, uh, challenge that I took from my life when I was 17, I had some exchange students from Germany in my, um, in my high school here. And they mm -hmm. asked me if I wanted to be an exchange student in Germany. And I was 17, and that's a big thing to do. But I did. And at the time, my German was terrible. Uh, I took two years in high school, and I could say my pencil is yellow, and that's about it. Right? <laughs> but then I came back. I went to University of Central Florida, and I took a, a degree in finance, but I took German on top of it. And in at the university level, they don't really um, play around. You have to learn your German. So... Wir können die ganze Tage auf Deutsch reden. Bei mir ist es egal, welche Sprache das wir benutzen. I can use both languages and it's not, not really that difficult for me, which is a bit unique for Americans and quite and helps me quite a bit in some of the meetings in, in Germany, right? So right. from that, um, technically, I got into roller coasters. Uh, I've been in sales almost all my career, but I worked at the parks for nine years. Oh. A lot of kids growing up here from 16 to 25. And so... So I worked in operations, Magic Kingdom, Monorails, Epcot. Uh, I have some of my best friends from Norway. Back then, I, I worked this kind of a foreman job in the Norwegian Pavilion. So the nine oh. years park has, I didn't know it at the time, has helped me tremendously in, in my career. And so, um, but I didn't know it. I didn't know it at the time. So when I came to work for Mauer, uh, they uh, they said, yeah, let's talk about your background. Well, nine years in the park, technically in roller coasters with one of the sub suppliers uh, was a really good fit and also spoke German uh, reasonably well. And so my, my German is very good, like beer garden German, my technical German, not as good. If you ask me what <laughs> devil is in German, I, I'd have to go look it up. But conversationally, it's, it's, it's just fine. Right. And so uh, right. this has led me to be in the industry for now a total of 30 something years, which is um, a, a nice, a nice industry to be in. It's, it's, I found my career and I was quite lucky with that. Wow. Okay. So a couple of things to unpack there. I just want to kind of just to verify. So you said you worked for the parks for what was it? Nine years, like nine operationally. Years. Correct. And then twenty-five. Okay, to so twenty-five. And then is that is right after that is when you went to wound up at Mauer, or did you have other jobs? No. Oh, so I completely went outside the industry into sales, oh, okay. and, I, and I worked in the paper industry covering Florida and Alabama. And okay. So, and then I had no idea I was going to come back in the industry. And then, like a lot of our challenges, you know, we just got out of COVID. Nine um, eleven hit. In, in my world and i got laid off with six thousand something other people and, and i feel for the people who who suffered during covid because i got kicked out the doors making all my sales numbers 
And I was, you know, it, it was just, they just said, hey, we're, we're cutting back. And that's the way it was back then. And so, but one door opens and one door closes. I'm a firm believer of that. Oh, me too. Me too. It just happens, right? And so, yeah. Yeah. So, and so when did you join Mauer? Um, gosh, 2007. So what is that? 15 years ago, more or less? Yeah, 15 yeah. years. Wow, 15 nice. Years? Yeah, so 15 nice. years. Ago, so all over the wow. world. Been, well, very yeah. impressive. Yeah, no, you've had a, quite a career, and uh, you know, you mentioned nine eleven, and you know, we uh, we're very passionate about nine eleven. We're we're you know, unfortunately, a lot of Americans, and you know, we don't get political on the show, and this isn't really political at all. Um, a lot of Americans, sadly, in my opinion, have even people that like you and me that were old enough when we were adults on nine eleven, they they've forgotten about what happened, and, and you know, they don't they don't look back. And at, every year, I post about it. I, you know, I wear a special shirt that that's in remembrance of 9-11 uh, and to the point where in our first season and you might want to, you know, if you're curious and interested, uh, go back in our archives uh, to September 10th uh, of of, uh, of 2021. So a couple of years yeah. ago now, that was our first um, year of, of having an episode right around 9-11. It was literally um, the day before 9-11 because we released yeah. on Fridays and it was Friday, December, uh, Friday, excuse me, September 10th and uh, came up with the idea Gosh, all, about three months prior with a former guest of the show, good friend of the show, who was in New York on 9-11 and had to rescue uh, his uh, brother-in-law who was in, in uh, southern Manhattan, in lower Manhattan, um, you know, in, in the thick of things. He wasn't in the World Trade Center, but he was nearby uh, and get the, get him himself and his brother-in-law off the island successfully. And so we talked through the whole story and the details and what he saw and witnessed. And, and we, it was a fantastic interview that we released in, uh, for September 11th. And we, we released the episode a year later, this past year, 9-11. But yeah, yeah feel free to check it out. It's a very powerful episode. We also include some other uh, testimonies from other other friends of the show, former guests, and some yeah. some audio clips. And yeah, so we're... We, that. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I don't I'll almost never share this with anybody, but uh, in my yeah. walk-in closet... I have a picture of one of the planes hitting one of the towers that I keep in my closet as a picture in my closet because it's so kind of depressing and hard to see. But it reminds yeah. me every day when I wake up, you never know what's going to happen today. So make this a great day and do the best you can today because you don't know what's going to happen. I, I have that in my closet. And I see it every morning when I wake up. That's incredibly powerful. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. That's mm -hmm. that's really fun. Wow. Wow. That's very poignant. Wow. Thanks yeah. for sharing that, Steve. Sure. That's been incredible. Sure. Uh, so you, you mentioned, you know, that you worked in the parks and obviously worked for Mauer. So in terms of your, cause you know, this, in this first part of the interview here, we're going to be kind of talking about you as a person. Are, are you, you know, someone who more is, is more of like you consider yourself maybe an enjoyer of theme parks or someone who enjoys coasters or, or you know, what, what do you think of yourself? Yeah. So, so my background, uh, probably less of a coaster enthusiast than probably the majority of, of the people on here. I, I love parks. Like I said, I, I like being immersed in a park. Sure. And seeing it. And, and so I, I consider myself, uh, a person who enjoys park, but not probably the level of enthusiast. I do look at it at a, at a different way than a lot of people. So when I walk through a park, I try because it's, Part of my business to see what other people are enjoying what are they looking at why are they going to where they're going so i kind of see it with a different eye 
um, then and then maybe some other people would look at it because that's just part of my livelihood, right? And sure. So, sure. But but I do I do I go in on every single Saturday? No, I have all kinds of things that I enjoy. I'm a competitive swimmer. Nice. So I've been swimming butterfly, backstroke, all that my entire life. Uh, I'm 56, so and I still do it. I swim 3,000 meters at a practice. Wow. And so um so I like the challenge. And part of challenges in in our world it, at a park, I enjoy the. The fact that some of the rides, like the coasters, are a challenge. And so when you go to a, so when I go to swim, some of those are a complete beat down. It's a complete, it's a lot of racing. And, right. and you have to get your head in the right spot to accomplish whatever you're going to accomplish. And some of the coasters that are the more extreme ones, I won't say uh, they're more of an accomplishment. When I get off, I've accomplished something. Sure. This is, Another ride that I might enjoy a little bit more, just for me personally, that maybe has bunny hops in it, in the design. And I just right. think bunny hops are fun, right? Right, right. Why are they yeah. fun? I don't know. Why is blue, blue and green's green? It's just fun, right? <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, there's something about airtime. It's sort of like, like almost like a, you, yep. it makes you laugh and yep. makes you giddy. It's, I mean, airtime is very popular. Yeah, I mean, you're not a coaster enthusiast, but you just kind of hit on a, on a you know, kind of bullseye right there. Uh, I'm not the only thing that, uh, you know, us as enthusiasts tend to like, but most enthusiasts consider airtime the most important. Personally, not me. I love airtime. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But it's not my number one. It's like maybe like my number two or three as far as the things I, I you know, because we analyze coasters as enthusiasts. Sure. We, we the layouts and the features and what's better and what's worse and, you know, rankings where I get into all that stuff. And a lot of us do. Um, but most enthusiasts, airtime is like number one. Oh, so then, you, then, I, then I'm kind of happy because I actually I, I feel like I'm part of because I Mako is one of my favorite coasters. Oh yeah, great airtime. Yeah. It's just it has it has such nice airtime, and and our like you mentioned earlier, our our, our industry is extremely small. And Sophie Bolliger with B and M and I are really good friends. And I'm like nice. I like Sophie. I like I like I like your ride Mako. It's really good. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, Mako is one of the best airtime machines, and I love it for that. I enjoy Mako. I think Mako is the best coaster uh, to this day. Uh, it's not the newest, but it's the best at SeaWorld, and, and for that reason, it's a great, great airtime machine. Lovely. So, one more quick kind of follow-on question to that first question I asked you, and then we'll move on. Mm-hmm. So, you mentioned about uh, learning German, you know, in college and fortuitously because of the exchange program, and then later. You know, I, and I believe things happen for a reason in life. You know, like you said, and you know, one door closes, another one opens. So, you know, you've been at, at Mauer now for 15 plus years. And I'm assuming you go to Germany, uh, maybe not during COVID, but um, normally you go there at least once a year, right, for meetings? Uh, typically before before COVID, almost every year, at least once, if not a couple of times. It just depends on projects. Um, I travel quite a bit. So Having been to Germany, to Munich's a beautiful city. If you've never been there, it's great. I usually go yeah, to Oktoberfest and I take customers there, which is great. I call it babysitting with beer because someone has to pay the <laughs> someone has to pay the bill at the end of the night and make sure right. we get home to the hotel. So I have to make sure I'm the guy who has to make right. sure because I right. speak German, I know what I'm doing, and the Germans know I know what I'm doing. And so, uh, so I love taking my customers and say, "Hey, you all have fun, have great times." I wish I could tell you. All the great presidents and stuff I've taken to Oktoberfest with me, but we basically say, "Hey, we're all going to go have a good time, and nobody's ever going to hear about it." Right? So, yeah. <laughs> it's like what happens in Vegas stays in right, Vegas. stays in right, Vegas. right, right. What happens in Oktoberfest stays in Vegas. Right. I but get it. We drink get a it. lot of beer. I'll say that. Right. 
I get it. I get it. Yeah, it's. I need to get to Munich. I love Germany. I've been there uh, a couple times now, and need to get over to that that part of it. But I keep keep getting caught in the very west part of Germany for reasons that that'll, that will come up actually later in the interview. I know from from kind of prepping beforehand, but um, we'll get to that. But uh, you know, so obviously, so you go to Germany maybe once a year. And obviously, uh, you know, I'm sure you have you know, your um, um, colleagues from Germany, from Munich, from the headquarters, and uh, maybe even other parts of Germany that are natural German speakers. I'm sure they, you know, come from IAPA every year, and you probably you probably see them other times of the year, right? Correct. Maybe. Yeah, okay, I'm, the only, so, I'm the only American who works for, for Maurer. Everyone else, for the most part, is German. They have a, a couple oh. of international people. But at the office, if you go to the office to Maurer, it's it's 99% German. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, you have Zoom meetings, I'm sure Teams meetings, and yeah. you know, because yeah, I, I know your I know what your job is like only because I work in sales too. I know about entertaining customers and you know, constantly having meetings with customers and colleagues. And so, what I'm getting at with all that is, I'm just curious. This is a curiosity question: Is your German good enough that you like say have meetings in German and you're speaking in German? We we have we can. In fact, we we switch up. It, but typically, I would say no. Most of the meetings are in English because typically I'm bringing customers uh, from America with me, so that we right. all understand. We typically stay in English, and then, as you can imagine, uh, there's only a few coasters sold in Germany every year. So the the language of the of the business is all in, in English because that's the business. So, um, so I would say. But that said, if I if if we don't have any customers, we actually just kind of bounce and forth between English and German. Just if it, well, let's say we're at lunch without any customers. Right. Depends on how the conversation flows. Um, yeah. Sure, makes sense. But it's nice to have that flexibility that you can speak in German and yep. yeah, yep. yeah, right. nice. yeah. And I, given my, I made two visits to Germany myself last year, both for fun uh, because of my love of parks and coasters and. Mm -hmm. I discovered, you know, and not just one park, but a couple of parks, especially. Uh, in my opinion, Germany has some of the best parks in the world, if not, you know, the very, very creme to the creme. And it's fascinating to me because I, I grew up, you know, I've traveled a lot in my life, but I grew up here in the U.S. with Disney, Universal, and, you know, down Dollywood and Silver City with great parks. But Germany, there's something special there, and I don't. I'm trying to figure it out, and maybe, maybe we'll wind up. You may, you may, maybe you'll wind up helping me in the interview when we when we talk about the, you know, some yeah. of this a little bit later. But, but maybe you know it. But uh, it's fascinating to me, and I feel like okay, I need to start learning German because you know German German. Uh, it's like the French. The French have a reputation. Uh -huh. The the German people I've met, like at the parks that work, the parks are so nice. Okay. I have a couple of of of, of um, I guess employees, team members at one park in particular that i've encountered more than once like um, in my vision in october and then again in december and they re recognize me and they're so nice and, and again they don't have to be and, and again they're german and you know so it, it sort of goes yeah. against that stereotype that sort of you know rigid stereotype of germans but anyways yeah, I, mean, but, I think yeah. i think they're very yeah. service oriented uh in, in yeah. many ways, especially in the parks uh they just have to be they realize that, that the other germans won't tolerate that if they're not <laughs> I see. Right, so, right. So the the tolerance level for Germans a little bit uh, higher. They are uh, sorry, less. They're, they're like, listen, you have to have it correct, and a correct right. at the part needs to be friendly and on point. And if you're not, right. we're going to have a discussion, right? Interesting. <laughs> so it's sorry. Okay. So so that regimented approach, but regimented in terms of you have to be very nice. You know, it's like yeah, yeah you, there's ex right. expectations 
on, on right. expectations right. Are, 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 are more strict, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. They take things very seriously, but that, that seriously could be, you need to, you know, you need to follow these rules and be this way. And yeah, that makes sense. That, that definitely yeah. makes sense. Although yeah. I have to say one thing that there are some parks is one outside of, of uh, Munich um, that has uh, patron, patron related or guest related uh, self self-actuated uh rides which we would never oh do. i know about though yeah all, yeah all the yep. all the all the lawsuits we have in the u.s would never allow it so but the right. germans are very much like hey you need to take care of you and that, that just wouldn't fly we if we go to a park here they're like no you sh you should kind of leave your brain at home and you just have to have everything you know uh triple double quadruple checked in the united states it's a little different yeah that's something i've talked to my uh i call them my euro friends yeah. So my European enthusiast friends that I've I've met and 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 met up with over there and mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, they you know we compare the U.S. to to Germany and, and to Europe because it's some of that goes beyond Germany. But yeah. you know things like rapids rides not having any kind of restraints. You know yeah. again that would never fly over here in the U.S. But I think also that affects things in positive ways because ticket prices, the price you pay to go into the parks in Europe. It's right so much less expensive in the U.S., and I'm sure part of that is the insurance cost that we have to pay. Correct. Yeah, so, no, no question. No question the, yeah, the yeah. lawsuits and things are, are just uh, impacts costs for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, all right, so let's go ahead and, and, and start into our, our theme park time machine. So the first question is kind of just kind of a starter question for that, and then we're going to dive into something deeper than that. Uh, and that simply is, what is the first coaster you remember experiencing? The very first coaster that I went to when I was very little, or I, well, I can't, I couldn't be that little because they let me on the ride. So I, I'll say probably 11, 12, uh, maybe, maybe a little younger, uh, was Space Mountain. And I went with my grandfather because my mother was not having it. She wasn't going to go on it. <laughs> so my grandfather said he'd take me. And so, uh, so he took me on Space Mountain and I remember walking off and he was, he's from North Carolina. And, uh, he said, Oh my. That was his full extent of getting off the ride, right? Me, of course, I was just uh, over the moon with with just. I thought it was just great, right? And so, uh, so yeah, right. I guess. And now that I, now that I'm way attention, my position, I think uh, Space Mountain in Florida is the second oldest steel roller coaster. I think something like that. Matterhorn, I think, in Disneyland is the first, and I think your enthusiast will definitely correct me, but I, I know it's old. Yeah, yeah, it's old. Yeah. I mean, I know that the Matterhorn is the first because that's well known. There's a documentary yeah. about it that yeah. the Ace, yeah, the American Coaster Enthusiast, which is one of the coaster clubs I'm a member of, they did a wonderful documentary of it. Actually, know the main guy, for friends with the main guy that did it. He's an amazing, amazing talent. We're actually planning on having him on the podcast. Hmm. Um, but any, anyways, um, I know that was like 58, 59. But, um, and I know that the two Space Mountains, I think those were next. And it, Disney it World had to be the top, top five, right? As far as oldest, yeah, years, right? yeah. Disney World was first, then Disneyland, like a couple years later, it was right. like seventy-five and then seventy-seven, I think. But sure. I never thought about were there any steel coasters from the very late fifties, right after Matterhorn, through the sixties into the early seventies, and there may not have been. That's Nobody a good question. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, but I know that there there started, you know, there were a lot of coasters that came in starting in the late 70s and through the 80s, you know, especially with Arrow, who made 
Matterhorn and, and both right. those space mountains. Uh, they started doing a lot of coasters for regional parks, you know, Six Flags was starting to rise up and everything else. But, but yeah, but, but into the early mid seventies, yeah, maybe not. That's a good question. But interestingly enough, you mentioned 11 or 12 and you mentioned, you know, you had to be that age. I actually, that was my first coaster as well because I grew up in New Jersey. So we would go to Disney, Disney World as a kid once every few years, visit the grandparents down here too. And I was four years old and I rode that. That was my first. So episode. yeah, maybe I was younger. I just, you yeah. know, now that I'm older, it's, it's hard to pinpoint. Yeah, what year you were, right? But uh, I, I yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I totally. But get I it. had a I, blast. I remember coming off there, and of course, the younger you are, at some point you're afraid of everything, and at some point you're afraid of nothing. And I was kind of right. afraid of nothing phase of my life. You know, you just you don't know. You're like five, six, seven, and everything's awesome. And so, uh, right, right. I, I didn't. My point is, like, they didn't take me on the ride, dragging. At that point, I was, I wasn't afraid of anything. <laughs> so, well, it's. Uh, I love it when when guests create great segues in interviews. It doesn't happen all the time, but you just did. So, uh, you talked about, you know, at some point in our lives, we're afraid of everything. At some point, we're afraid of something. And I think actually that can go. It kind of starts off. We're afraid of nothing. Then we're afraid of everything, and then we our fears dissipate, and 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 that's the fear journey of life. And the next part of the interview, actually, and again, great segue. Thank you, Steve. Sure. Uh, is is our what we call our fear journey, and it's a it's a kind of part of that life's fear journey, if you will, and it relates to how the parks affect uh, our fears and how we improve upon that with the parks now i know as you mentioned you're not a coaster enthusiast so these next few questions i you can think about a coaster it may be a coaster or you can think about you know rides like you obviously you know you talked about it was disney the only park you worked for by the way that the, the various disney parks yes I, I worked for disney for nine years and that's that was the summer. okay okay so I, i'm guessing you spent you know you lived here in orlando and I'm, i am jealous of that by the way I moved here five years ago. You lived here for all those years, um, and uh, and good jealous, mind you. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm guessing you spent a lot of time at Disney World, especially working there, right? Oh yeah. So uh, worked yeah. in the Magic Kingdom for I guess three or four years, Monorails for a couple of years, and then Epcot for three or four years, right? Uh, somewhere, something somewhere in that map, right? So, yeah, gotcha, all, gotcha. All the parks all the time because we as employees could get into the parks free. Right. Your right. friends had worked there as well were free. So we would always uh, hop around all the parks and see everything as much as we wanted. Sure. Yeah, it's good life. No, not, not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it could be at Disney World or maybe it's somewhere else you've been to. But wherever it may be, you know, a coaster, it could be a drop right, you know, Tower of Terror. I don't, I'm not putting words in your mouth. But, sure. um, you know, what would you say is, is the ride or the attraction that has scared you the most in life? It has to be all the rides that have a very, very high, high. I'm not afraid of heights if I'm restrained, but right. I, I've gone mountain climbing. I was just <laughs> down to Argentina in September and October, and I was climbing up from uh, 6,000 to 9,000 feet with a guide with a little teeny ledge with snow and ice and 500 oh. foot drops. Wow. And my palms are sweaty. And there's, you know, a 25, 30 degree angle up. And we're doing this for eight hours. And for me, this is mental work. And I told my guide, I said, this isn't easy for me. I am working right now. I am working on the next step. I am working on putting the right foot forward. And some of the rides, there's two rides for me that are like that. If 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 you go up like the Leviathan at, at Canada's Wonderland, it's very high. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
but B and M coaster going oh, sure yeah that lift towards the top at some point going up that lift I'm kind of my brain's going I, I really shouldn't be this high I I don't know I shouldn't be this high I'm not afraid of heights but I my my brain just kind of clicks and goes I really shouldn't be this high but then my logical brain working in this industry has helped me tremendously because I start thinking of all the safety stuff we do and we and really it's just in my head because um you're like we talked about that it's it's uh it's safer on a coaster than you are in a, in a car going down the street and so yeah so yep so but there's but there's just kind of the same moment when i'm when I'm mountain climbing or hiking high at a high high altitude that i've just got to i kind of go ooh, i'm not sure about this uh maybe also so the anticipation to me is harder than the reality so and it's the same thing on the launch so if you get on a launch coaster and it's you know, top throw dragster or something like this that just goes from zero to a hundred or what have you in a couple seconds. Um, yeah, anticipation yeah. is is harder for me than the actual moment. And the same thing when I get to the very top of the hill and I look down, which terrifies a ton of people, doesn't bother me at all. Once I get to the top, I'm like, all right, let's go. I'm ready to drop into it. But the anticipation is is worse. Also, I do quite a bit of public speaking. So I get up in front of, you know, yeah. 50 to thousands of people. The anticipation is also hard for me. And you just have to know that it's it's a challenge that you can come you can overcome. And uh, you just say, OK, let's do it. And you just do it. And so it's, it's but we all face our challenges and you decide whether you can do it or not. Right. <laughs> so, right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to go unpack something right there before we get to the ride itself. So, yeah, I, you made some good points there. You know, the, you know, you talked about for yourself, the anticipated anticipation is worse than the actual event. Uh, you know, the launch, you know, before right before you launch is, is the, the worst part line. than the launch. Yeah, yeah, or the or the or, yeah, of course. The You're looking before. at this going. I'm not sure about this, right? <laughs> or it could be driving into the park and you know driving in a Magic Mountain, for example, and seeing X2 hulking right there, and yeah. you know then thinking about what the coaster actually does and the spinning and you know everything else yeah. and seeing yeah. that vertical drop and you know it's yeah it's, it's all that stuff. It's all that is part of the anticipation leading up to getting into the coaster. And some people once they're restrained, to your point earlier, that's when the anticipation sort of dissipates and they start feeling okay for some of them they have to actually be starting to go through the ride you know actually the launch or the or the, the lift hill is done and they're kind of in the moment of that that's, speed that's and, where you know, i am thrilled. once once we yeah. start moving yeah. like past the lift yeah. hill or past or into the launch actually the launch goes then i relax and i start enjoying yeah. it yeah yeah and you mentioned absolutely that makes a lot of sense that's how most people are um you mentioned public speaking you know a lot of people you know myself I've had to do a lot of public speaking because the nature of jobs and jobs I've had before sales, I used to be a technical trainer for a software company and did training for other companies. I would teach sometimes 50 people, people I didn't know for a whole week. And, you know, and I've had other, you know, I would run for school office in school. I was, you know, in my fraternity that I was in, I was an officer. I had to, you know, I, you know, I had to be out there a lot. And, you know, over the years of just doing that, I got better and better at it. But, yeah, it was always the nervousness before the speech or the whatever it was I was going to be doing in front of people teaching. But then in the moment of it, you know, once I'm doing it, I'm like, I'm feeling good because I like doing it. I like that stuff. I like well, teaching maybe people, you know? to back up just a second, back by yeah. my very first public speaking and maybe also on a coaster it might be the first time going through a coaster. Uh, my first time giving a public speak speech. Yeah. Uh, 
I actually, it was a some sort of German thing in school, and I had to give the speech in German, and I was terrified. I would rather oh. have all my teeth extracted than to do the speech. And I went to the bathroom afterwards because, you know, I was done with the speech, and I had to go to the bathroom. And I remember right. somebody coming in the bathroom and said, oh, did you see that one guy up there? And he was referring to me. He was so nervous and scared, right? Right, <laughs> He was right. talking about me, and I was, and I thought... Oh, yeah, you're right. That was me. I was terrified and scared. But as you pointed out, the more you do it, kind of like riding a ride that it may be difficult, you accomplish it and you you find it uh, easier typically when you do it uh, more and more often. And so sure. I challenge myself when I have a chance to public speak to do it because you'll, nice. you'll get better at it. Hmm? No, that's awesome. That that's fantastic, and doesn't surprise me at all that you know you the more you do it, the easier it becomes because that's how it is with any sort of fear mechanism. Um, you know, at the yeah. end of it, yeah, I, I love the payoff of being a swimmer. The accomplishment of doing something difficult that you know is difficult, you know it's difficult for you, but the payoff and the accomplishment has its all its own rewards, and usually I find that to be very satisfying. Absolutely. And that could be the certain case with swimming, with public speaking, with coders, with rides. If you, it's, this all comes down to fight or flight. Yep. And if you, if you flight, if you retreat, yeah, you didn't have to face what it was. You have that respite, if you will, but you generally don't feel good about yourself and no. you know, all your friends that did, you know, so. But I do have to say there's some days that I'm just not in the mood to have the fight. And so some days I'll go and I was like, you know what, today's not my day for this. I'm not. I'm, right. I will fight this fight another day. I'm not going to go away. But I just, you know, I, I don't want to. Let's just say this this very crazy coaster is terrifying for me, or not terrifying. Right. And there's but it's difficult. there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah there's nothing yeah, wrong I mean, with it. Today's not the day. Okay. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to be that way every day or every time. You know, if if you, it's just if you were to do it a lot or do it all the time that's where it's problematic but correct you know as it's starting to stay you know with the flight you know you may feel good because you avoided what it was but then you're you know then you, generally what happens is you start feeling bad because you're missing out or you right. feel like you know you disappointed yourself or any of your friends might make funny you know whatever there's all sort it depends on the circumstance and what's going on now if you fight yeah it is it is a little bit more uh in the moment you know in that anticipation we talked about it's scary and sweaty palms and all that but once you hit that apex and again the apex could be getting restrained or it could be you know once the launch happens or once you start going to lift hill or maybe it's not until you're you know like you for you like most people when you're really at speed you you the launch is done the, you know, the lift hill is done and you've got then the adrenaline and the endorphins and all that kicking in uh, that's, you know, that's the reward. It's a big reward. So, and plus you feel proud of yourself afterwards and accomplished like the work to use your words. It's all positive stuff. But mm -hmm. again, but you don't have to do it every time. The key is, is to, to make those steps to do it here and there. But, yeah, but in any case, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> in any case, so what, what is the ride or the attraction that is, is it Leviathan? Yeah, for fear, I'll I'll name that one. But any of the ones that are similar to that, where you would um, sure. it would you would have a really high lift or uh, a very fast launch. It's funny. I I, I used to think what is some of the launch coach like top throw jackson I think it's from zero to a hundred. I might be off on that. A hundred uh, in a couple. Uh, seconds. It's about um, yeah, it's a little more than that. But it's a little more than that. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. if you ever get a chance. Go look at a video of uh, of a fighter jet taking off from an aircraft carrier. 
and they go from zero to 120 in two seconds. They actually go faster. They look slower from the video, but those right. guys really kick it on, on the aircraft carriers. Zero to 120 in two seconds on, 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 a, on a catapult launch. So, oh um, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, you, you, you are, um, you're hitting one of my, it's not one of my passions or my, my main hobbies that I've identified as someone, but one of the things I love and it's, it's, I love, I love things that go fast. I've ridden motorcycles in my life, own sports cars. I own one of the fastest cars in the world currently, uh, which I'm very proud of. And I, I have so much fun with it. Uh, but I love fighter jets. Not that I've ridden in one. That's one of my dreams is to ride in my backseat of one or something. But I've been to so many air shows, love the Blue Angels. And, and, but I, you know, I love Top Gun Mavericks, one of the best movies that came out last year. Part of it was the theme of it. And, you know, I love seeing those. I would love to see like a fighter jet just take off, like, you know, be on a, be on a carrier deck when it's taken off and you hear how loud it is and see it. But yeah, I totally agree with you. And by the way, it's funny you mentioned Top Forge Dragster. Then you mentioned aircraft carrier with a catapult launch because the technology that Intamin used. Not to mention one of your, one of your competitors, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, you guys don't compete in that space. Oh, we're all good friends. We're all yeah, good, friends. good friends. Totally. Um, but the technology, the hydraulic launch system that that Intamin uses for things like top drill, top drill dragster, accelerator, etc., right. that is a similar technology. It's Correct. it's a it's a catapult launch. So Correct. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so, so basically, so Leviathan uh, is is a B and M Giga, and and you know, Intamin and B and M, they're the only ones that really operate in that market. Uh, and um, you know, it's basically a coaster over three hundred feet tall uh, with a conventional lift tail. That's sort of what a gig is considered to be. You know, Fury three twenty five is is another one of them. You know, Mako you mentioned that's a that's a that's a B and M Hyper, mm -hmm. you know, two hundred feet and taller. So I want I'm curious here. So Leviathan, did you ride Leviathan before or after Mako for the first time? Before. Right, because Leviathan came out about four years. It did beat about yeah, four I, years. I, I remember riding it specifically with the park president in the front seat. <laughs> oh, nice. nice. Yeah, he's like, hey, let's just skip the line, Steve. We'll go right to the front. And I'm like, okay. So we're like, nice. click, 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 come up the hill and just chatting away. And uh, But when it kind of got towards the top, I'm kind of like, hey, uh, we got a great view up here. <laughs> we're really hot. <laughs> All right, so we, so you rode Mako later, okay? So we're, I'm gonna hopefully I'll remember. Well, I'm gonna follow up something in a couple questions here. We're gonna, we're gonna revisit Mako in this regard, but before we get to that, um, so you're just talking a little bit about you know riding with a park president in the front seat. You know, this great place to ride. And you're like, you know, a little nervous. You're looking around, like, oh, wow, it's a great view from up here and all that. And, you, you know, you had that nervousness. And so, to, but tell me, you know, obviously you got through the ride. Oh, yeah. Tell me, how did you feel after you got off the ride, off Leviathan? Uh, you know, I go back and I critique it in my head because that's my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so unlike a, probably a lot of your riders, I kind of, once again, look at it a bit differently. And I go, hey, how were the transitions? I started. <laughs> I started looking at it technically, and 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 so the, to answer your question directly, I go that ride had a lot of good airtime. It had good airtime, really big hills and airtime, and I I really enjoyed it. And the only thing that I didn't, I won't say it's just normal for me, is that when I when it got really high up there, the anticipation gave me a little bit of the willies, but that was it. Once it got going, we were I was having a great time, and so right, yeah. right. Yeah, okay. So when there was so, when I when I walked off the ride, I was thinking about the airtime. Like that 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 ride okay. has great airtime. Mm. 
Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. So, and so, you know, talk about giving the willies, it's mainly on that lift hill. It's that right before, right? Correct. Okay. Okay. Once I look over the top and down the hill, which probably terrifies a lot of people, I am fine with it. I'm like, all right, let's roll. Yeah. Okay, got it. Now, I have not been to Canada's Wonderland. That's on the short list for me. I'm hoping to go there in June because I've got a wedding to go in upstate New York mm -hmm. uh, in June. But uh, I know of Leviathan. Yeah. And yeah, of course, it's BM Giga. It's got great airtime. So yeah, it makes sense you would think about the airtime afterwards. Now, maybe when you're still on it, or maybe a little while later, you must have at some point thought about because you talked about that accomplishment aspect you thought about facing your fear on it so how, how did that like did you think about that after writing it you know it, it just triggered a memory i had I had not thought about it till you just said it um the restraint was the first time i had taken that new b&m restraint it was simply holding your legs the legs the and bar. Down. yeah yeah that yeah. was that was the first time i had ridden a coaster from them like that and i thought Man, that kind of restraint kind of gives me a high pucker factor. I was like, because <laughs> <laughs> all the airtime in the seat, and there's no shoulder restraint, and right. so that was that was neat to me. So that fear was like, I know I'm not going to fly out of this, but this is the first time in this restraint, and I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that, and so I go, that was I was walking away. I go, that restraint's got a little bit of a pucker factor to it, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, absolutely. And that's part of what makes those more exciting. You know, Mako's yeah. very similar in that regard. So did you did you have any thoughts about that you had faced your fear successfully on this, like, really tall coaster? Or, you know, this one that you now identify as the one that scares you the most. Right. Um, did it affect how you, you know, you in any way in terms of how you thought about coasters moving forward or rides yeah, that are tall? I mean, it, honestly, so when, so that yeah. coaster was probably the first giga coaster I went on. And, and you, yeah. once you've done that and you go to another one, you obviously reference back to, yeah, I, I did the other one and, and I did just fine on it. So, yeah. yeah, once you've done one, even though it's not the same, you definitely reference back in your head going, no, I've done this before. And so, okay. um, yeah. And the good news probably that I didn't think too much about it. Uh, Raphael was the park president at the time that I was walking with him and there's no way in hell that I was going to say, Hey, I, this, this coaster, your brand new one scares me. I'm not going to go on this. <laughs> right. <laughs> there was, there was well, no yeah. chance that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, that's an extreme version of something that I went through in my life, in my fear journey with coasters. Uh, yeah. So many other guests of our friends of mine is that peer pressure. Now, usually it's not a park president. Right. Um, usually it's just friends. For me, it was my friends in high school, you know, but, but yeah, no, it's the same thing. It's just a more extreme version. Yeah. That's, right. And that's yeah, almost I, more fear inducing. Yeah. 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 There's, I mean, yeah. I didn't, it wasn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't ever look at it and go, I'm not going to go on it. But looking back on it, I go, there would have been no way in hell if I would have said no. I'm not kidding. Right, right, right. And so you wrote Leviathan like right when it opened, I'm guessing? Or? Yeah. I would say I was up there. Um, by happenstance, within the first month of its opening, until so in 2012, right? Yeah. Now, have you ridden since then? Fury 325. I have not. I have not. not. I need to do okay. that. It's it's on my list, but no, I haven't done it. So okay, what about have you ridden? Uh, I 305 at Kings Dominion. No, so so unfortunately, some of these these rides that I would like to do, when, with my job, they don't typically make the decisions at the park. So they make it the uh, okay. So I've been to all the parks, 
at some point in my 15 careers, uh, my 15 years of career, but some of them ones like that, that, you know, I've got a tight window. I don't have all day to spend at the park and it's not looking. Right. Really. And so, so some of these, they are on my list to do, but I haven't done it, <laughs> but I've done a lot of, got it. Lot of rides, got but it. just not this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. You know, traveling for work, I travel a lot too, but it's, you know, I don't necessarily go to the places I always want to. And, you know, it, 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 you know, it's not necessarily as glamorous, like even working in, in, uh, the, in the coaster, you know, the theme park biz, you know, you don't necessarily, you know, you're not playing in the parks. That's not what your job is. Yeah. So, you know, so very, <laughs> very often, you know, people will have this idea that I, all I do is go around ride roller coasters. And right. Yeah. Reason, <laughs> I wish that was the case, but reality is like you just, pointed out very often i'm in a boardroom the park is closed and that might have been a case i might have been in the park and it was closed right you know and and i'm sitting in a boardroom and there's snow outside stacked up in the window and we're looking at google map pictures and drawing on paper and so right very often right yeah sure yeah the off season or yeah whatnot of course yeah Yeah, for sure Mm -hmm. for sure Okay, makes sense. Well, so I I did remember, so I do want to revisit this, especially since the couple of other ones that I mentioned you have not been on. That's fine. Uh-huh. That you certainly have been on Mako. You rode Mako, okay. you know, at least you know, a number of years later after Leviathan. So, sorry, just wow. to answer your question, maybe I can maybe help yeah. you out a little bit. Um, yeah. The one that st- sticks out in my head is the Intamin coaster at Cedar Point. Uh, the oh, Millennium Force, Blue Street, yeah. Blue Street, Millennium Force. That's it. I was going to say yeah. Millennium Force. Um, that one sticks out in my head as another one that was quite high, right? <laughs> because right now, did you ride Millennium Force before Leviathan? Because it was built a long that was a long time ago. ago. So, uh, I did ride it before. No, I didn't. Yeah. No, 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 back. Uh, honestly, I don't remember. I okay, okay. no, I no, sorry, I had to start to stutter here, but I no guess I think I wrote Leviathan first and then, yeah. Because I think the other couple of times I was at Cedar Point, the park was closed, like I said. Right. And then by the time I got there on a day that it was open, I think IAPA had some sort of uh, event there. And I got to oh. the entire park while it was open. And that's when I wrote it. So now I got to clear my head. So Okay. Okay. Well, no, that's that's totally fine. No worries. I'm getting memory. Our memories can sometimes yeah. fail us. Yep. Um, I, I'm not too far behind you in years, so I, I, I can relate. <laughs> uh, so, so actually, I'll give you the option here. You kind of think about you can think about Millennium Force in this regard, okay. um, Mako, or maybe maybe this a little bit of both. But you know, talk to me in the frame of you identify as Le- Leviathan, having ridden that before these other two, as the one that scared you the most. And kind of talk about that. You know how you experienced, how you felt about that afterwards and during. So how did then did you look at how did you feel riding, you know, say Mako Millennium Force and you know, how did what you faced on Leviathan affect that? Uh like I said a little earlier, was it just to reiterate, you yeah. you already know you've done something. You realize, hey, I can do this because I've done it before in a right. similar fashion. Um, however, that doesn't mitigate the fact that you may still have that same feeling for a second time. Because it's just you're way up there, for example, or it's a launch. You just can't help feelings. Feelings are feelings. They come when they come. And right. So, but when you walk up to the ride, at least for me, my personal experience was walking up to the ride. I go, I reference in my head, like I've done this similarly there. This will be fine. I'll, it'll be good. It'll be a fine. Come on, let's go. Right. Yeah. 
Right. Okay. Fair enough. Now you talk about that sort of those, those, those feelings you might still get, you know, going up a lift hill, uh, you know, on the launch and so forth. And again, I know you're not a coaster enthusiast, but given the nature of your work, you know, you do go to parks sometimes and you do ride these rides and, you know, sometimes you're with, you know, sort of VIPs, you know, park presidents or, you know, or whatnot. So you've, you've ridden, you know, rides, you know, over the years, you know, and since 2012, I'm sure you've been on a few coasters and so forth. Oh, yeah. Uh, so do those feelings that you talk about that are still there, have you noticed they've dissipated at all as you've moved on? Sure. Just like with the public speaking, the more you yeah. do the the less that becomes a fear that weighs in your mind right, right. I, I think just but also just like public speaking if you're not doing it on a regular basis because uh, for me uh, it comes in waves sometimes i'll do some and then it'll be a year or two before i have to do something sure. again those feelings creep back it's just the way feelings come and go and so you but you reference that yeah of course i can do this i've done it before and i'll do it again right yeah. And it right. is and and you look for the payoff. And what's the payoff? The payoff for me is once the coaster gets going, I'm enjoying the entire ride. Right. Exactly. It's game on. And then the feeling of accomplishment that I didn't chicken out and and just skip the ride is also uh, a, a feeling I enjoy. Right. Like, yeah, I accomplished right. that. Right. 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 So, yeah, so what you just shared makes a lot of sense. And I was just, I, mean, I was expecting to, to hear this, you know, it was no guarantee. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, we're sort of doing this sort of informal study, you know, we're, we're not part of an IRB, you know, we're not doing a medical study, we're not doctors, but, you know, we're, we're on a journey with our guests. You know, we've, we're now in our third season. We've talked to all sorts of different people from people like yourself that just work in the industry that maybe even aren't, you know, enthusiasts. We've talked to people that aren't enthusiasts at all, uh, but just for the other reason why we talk to them. And of course, we've talked to people that are very, you know, you know, passionate about coasters and parks and all that. Um, and the story is always the same for the most part, is that if they had any fear, and we've had a couple of guests that really have never had fear in their lives, which is interesting. That's a whole other story. But, you know, most people have gone through a fear journey. And what we found and what I kind of describe it as is, if you face your fears, like in these controlled ways, if you keep doing it, whether it be riding the same ride over and over again, or probably more effectively riding different rides, different coasters, could be similar types, but different layout, different heights, indoors, outdoors, you know, the whole thing. What you what happens is, 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 is really fear, which is part of the mind. It's, right. it's, like a, it's like strength training. It's like going to the gym. Right. And, and it, it's really powerful, though, because, okay, sure, on the one hand, you know, I feel this way, and there's a lot, a lot of people I know, a lot of enthusiast friends that I know, where they've just faced fear so much that they can ride any coaster, and they even go beyond, they can get, you know, bungee jump, and, you know, go on a, a sky coaster, or even, even skydive, I've got a friend that's all, that's a coaster enthusiast, and he's skydiving all the time now, sure. he's trying to get yeah. certified, and, yeah. you know, and it's just fear, fearless, and, mm -hmm. But then you can go beyond that sort of those physical stuff to your point about public speaking is by by facing fear in these controlled and fun ways, to be honest, and obviously it's fun stuff too. Yeah. these parks, these coasters, it better prepares you to deal with what can be anxiety provoking situations in other parts of life. Very serious, important parts of life, public speaking, 
test taking interviews which is like public speaking i've got really good at interviews i mean all, all modesty aside i'm a pretty modest person um you know i feel very good about myself and how i interview for jobs mm -hmm. and i've gotten better at it and maybe it's partly doing all the interviews before but i think i firmly believe it's it's, it's the fear facing that i've done at parks and on rides because I definitely see it translates and other guests feel the same way that it translates into other areas facing into one area helps you in another. And that no is question. incredibly powerful. No so, question. Like you said, I, for public speaking. So. I, no question. I remember my first job interview, my father sent me to a friend to, to interview because he knows it's hard. He said, go <laughs> interview with my buddy. He won't care if you mess it up. And uh, he came in and I came in. I was so scared once again, you know, so yeah, you, you're going to face a lot of challenges in life and, and, and just know it's natural and you just, you work your way through it and, and um, ex exposure and experience uh, helps you make it through. Right. And so, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I, you know, Steve, I appreciate you going through the fear journey with me. And, you know, I know we started off, you're, you're not a coaster enthusiast, but I think your fear journey is it's pretty powerful. And, you know, some of the things that you realized, you know, right afterwards and, 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 and how you feel like you were rewarded for facing fear and how it's helped with public speaking. And, you know, that's especially working in sales, public speaking is really important. So, sure. you know, I, I, I appreciate you going on that journey with me. And even though you're not an enthusiast, I think it was a powerful one for you. Um, yeah. I'll just say, I just, you know, in my, in my career, I just love our industry. Uh, it, it provides so much for a lot of people um, in, in different ways that you don't really expect until you kind of get down into, into some of the discussions like we're having today. Um, yeah. but I, I think it's a lovely industry. I, I can't, having been in sales in, in a different industry, in the paper industry, before I came back to uh, amusement industry, there's about 200 people worldwide that we all know. We all know each other. And it's it's nice that we get together at these conferences with my competitors and people like this. Mm -hmm. And we just, just all enjoy our company. And that's not always the case in a lot of business. And so it's a good pe it's good people. And it's um, we enjoy what we do. And we enjoy people uh, making people uh, in, better in their lives, whatever that means. Maybe that's today or maybe that's um, uh, accomplishing something, right? And so, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You, know, you mentioned, you know, the couple hundred, you know, around the world and so forth, you know, sale that work in sales in the amusement industry. So I'm guessing that uh, at IAPA, which is easier for you to go to, right. uh, you know, obviously live in Orlando, that you it probably you look forward to IAPA every year, you know, seeing seeing clients, you know, me, of course, meeting with clients, it's, you know, it's a big deal for you sales wise. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but also seeing, you know, the, 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 even the competitor colleagues, you know, that you have just yeah. seeing everyone and partying and having a good time. You look forward to all that, right? Oh, without question. Uh, the yeah. only, it, but it's a long week. So if you oh, know yeah. everybody and if it's interesting walking the floor, if you know everybody and everybody knows you, uh, it can take a long time to make it to the restroom and back. <laughs> you have to stop 20 times. Everybody wants to catch up, right? And you just have to plan ahead. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, I've been going to IAPA myself, uh, representing Coaster Challenge since 2019. Right. So every year, obviously, 2020 didn't happen, but I've gone every yes. year since, and and each year it, it it's it's more and more meaningful in the ways we're talking about for me. Now I'm not in sale, and I I've got a separate day job. I I actually wish I worked in in um, in theme parks and, and and coasters and worked in industry like you do. 
Um, but this is not, not how my career took me. It's sure. I, I took a break from being in the industry. You know, in terms of being an enthusiast, I kind of with college, I kind of just wound up working in other areas. And I, I've got a great career. It facilitates me to do the things I love, to have the cars I love, to sure. travel. You know, so I'm ha- I'm not complaining. You know, but yeah. but you know, and then you know, thankfully, and again, things happen for a reason. Meeting David at an ACE. Uh, a f- seat filler event for the opening of Electric Eel at SeaWorld or uh, SeaWorld San Diego, excuse me, uh, mm-hmm. in 2018, right before I was moving to Florida, like literally two weeks. We just happened to be there at the same time. We didn't know each other and never talked before, but because we met that day and, and liked each other's company and got along well, we're talking in line. And, and this one thing led to another. We start going on other rides there besides what we were there for Ace and kept in touch. And, you know, I wound up all of a sudden helping with Coaster Challenge later that year. And it and look where it's gone, where it's sort of taken me. So in a way, I not having a job in the industry, this is the next best thing. Uh-huh. And yeah, one of the things I get, I get to go to media events and represent the channel and and meet with parks and manufacturers and and get to rides, rides, you know, and, and get POVs and you know, it's really all that's fun. And going to IAPA again, representing the channel is fantastic. And so it's the next best thing. And for me, each year is more meaningful because I know more people. Whether because of the podcast or friendships I've made or, you know, even knowing manufacturers mm. and and just seeing people, you know, running into people like left and right, turning a corner like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, it's so great to see you. And, you know, and it's 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 very social. And I love very the social cool. aspects of yes. this hobby. So, yes. yeah, it's it, it, it's uh it's an interesting journey because I think part of this business, because I, I do get a lot of people saying, oh, my goodness, you have you have my dream job. You know, I'd love to sell coasters. That's be just the most. <laughs> and and I have to say that part of that is experience. I mean, if you look back at my career path of nine years working in the park, I have the right qualifications. I work technically in roller coaster with another German company. I speak German. All those things add up. But also, there was an opportunity um, by chance. So chance plays a big. You know, if you look at the hundred percent equation. A job opening, there's a lot of people who can do my job for sure. Um, but it just happened to be, I happened to be in the right place at the right time. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, my boss is now retired from our who hired me. I went to the IAPA show and we started talking in German. And then after a couple of years, he said, I need to hire you. And so, it, you know, it, chance favors the prepared, but it is chance as part of that equation. <laughs> oh, yeah. I firmly believe in that. It's, and uh, so many things in, in my life on a regular basis, you know, some of my other hobbies that I do, is timing is everything. I mean, timing is, is so much in life. And, you know, to that point, um, you know, my life is is, is not over. You know, I, I like to think that I'm in the mid- middle age and I like to think I'll live another 30, 40, 50 years. And I'm a hard worker. I don't plan on retiring young at all. You know, I, I might even go well past the retirement age. I like working. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, you never know where my career might take me. And maybe I will, will wind up working in the industry, whether it be, you know, because of sales. If you can sell, you know this, if you, you know, you worked in paper and now you're in the park. If right. you can sell in one industry, you can sell in another. It's right. all about the personality, building rapport. And right. and so, yeah, with all my sales experience, because sales is the newest part of my career that's been going on since like 2013 or so. Um, and I keep getting better and better at it, you know, because practice makes perfect. And so you never know where I might wind up in the industry or maybe as a retirement job, because I don't plan on leaving Florida. Maybe I'll be one of those people at like, you know, 75 or whatever that's, you know, working in the parks, you know, part-time, you know, is, so. It's, it's something know. I've thought about too. I used to love driving the boats out in the lake at Epcot. 
Yeah, I thought, yeah, this was a great job if, for if you wanted to retire, but not really. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, so you never know. You never know. But but uh, in any case, um, so moving on from the fear journey here. So I have a feeling, you know, this is kind of a low hanging fruit question because, you know, you work in the industry, but, you know, feel free to answer how you like. Um, how have coasters and parks just in, you know, I know that you're more of a parks person. How have they had a significant positive impact on you besides say what we've kind of honed in on here that, for example, you riding these big coasters and facing your fears helped you with public speaking. That's a great win. You know, you feel good riding the coasters. Is there any other ways that the parks and coasters have, have affected your life in significant ways? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a given that you work in the industry and you love it. Fifteen years, but is there anything else? That's that's the low hanging fruit. But is there anything? Yeah. Else? Um, like I said, we talked a little bit before. I like the immersive aspect of it. Um, I do find, especially, um, I, I like the cutting edge part of some new technologies coming out there. It was interesting when we saw. For a while, there's a little bit of a blurb with uh, virtual reality goggles on coasters and things oh, like yeah. this, and then and now we're looking at augmented reality and and where will that go into 3D immersion and where will things go? I, I find that that that's quite fascinating when I I start getting into some of the newer stuff that's coming out. And I, I my point is. Like the virtual reality goggles, I thought, oh man, that's kind of probably really take off, and it kind of just had a little bubble and a hit, and it never, right. never hit. So it, it's interesting to me what maybe what becomes really big and permanent, and what doesn't. Um, back to low hanging fruit, you know, we put a, the coaster on a cruise ship, right? And, with with Carnival, and that was something that that when I I I happened to know the cruise ship from my my previous job, and I went and sat in the cubicle with. Uh, ben, who's head of naval architecture for Carnival, and we just sat and talked. And I said, "I think I got something for you that will work." And then all of a sudden, you know, when we when they rolled it out at IAPA, it had over a billion hits. It was the most. They said it, it was the biggest marketing things ever hit cruise ships and way past anything in the amusement industry. And I'm just sitting in a, you know in a, in a cubicle, just thinking, I, I think this will work, Ben. What do you think? Right? And <laughs> later, he, he we were at the at the inauguration, and he goes. Steve, he goes, uh, I remember you sitting in my cubicle pitching this and being the good sales guy, I go, and it was true. I said, yeah, Ben, but you took all the risk, right? <laughs> right. It, it, which is true, right? Yeah, yeah. And here we are opening. So so my, my point is, some of the things to answer your question that um, I find very interesting is is how will all this new stuff work and how um, how is it coming together and how are things look at the spider-man thing that that you know disney did in, in california where the it's a robot and it's i'm sorry if i gave that away but there's a robot flying there's <laughs> uh oh you were real, uh -oh. You were like talking about yeah. santa yeah <laughs> but uh but things like that you know where are we going to take this i find that part of um of the business because everyone's always asking me for the next interesting coaster idea and of course the spike system not to, to pander that too much but has a lot of innovation on it and yeah. being at the forefront of, forefront of innovation that, that allows new things to happen on a ship, allows things to happen in a park, I find very uh, compelling and interesting. 
Yeah, no, that's 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 fantastic. I can relate to that. And again, I try to relate to my guests as much as possible, as you can see in my interview style, because it's just more interesting that way and fun. And it's like talking to people. Uh, again, I'm in sales, you know, right. it's no surprise there. But, uh, you know, I'm an engineer. So yeah, I'm a sales guy. But my background is I actually have a degree in optical engineering. And so I and again, I didn't start in sales. I started because of my degree. I started, you know, I was doing R&D in labs. And then I started doing like tech support and, and applications engineering. And I just kind of gradually transitioned into customer facing roles because I, I work well with people. So, you know, you, I, I believe your career generally will take you in places if you kind of let it happen naturally where you're best fit because you're going to do well in those, you know, the places you're passionate in. And, and that's what happened with my career because I, I love working with people. I love traveling for work, which is the, that working with people that involves that. And, um, and eventually wound up in sales. But, uh, you know, again, I have that technical background and that's where I also come to with parks is I, you know, like you talk about, you walk in a park and you're looking, okay, where, okay. They, they enjoyed that. Okay. Where are they going next? How much time they're spending over there? Similarly, you know, I'm, when I go into parks, yeah, I'm enjoying the parks, but I'm also looking at how did they do that? Like the first time I rode Forbidden Journey, which was in California, I lived there before I lived here. I was, I was one of my first rides on it. Yeah. I was turning my, my head away from the screens, away from the animatronics and the, oh, and, yeah. the and I was looking at those other, those other kook arms and I'm like, looking yeah. at how big they are and how they move around. Cause I want to know how they work. Sure. And I also more, you know, more recently, um, I was trying to figure out how the throughput works in that ride. How do the, all these arms move through, you know, um, you know, where, they're not getting backed up. And I realized, oh, there's two sets of screens for each set of, and then, you know, I'm figuring out things over sure. time. About how, sure. and the same thing applies yeah. with posters, you know, yeah. and, you know, so, so that's my, the engineering me. So I totally relate to where you're talking about how technology is making the industry exciting. And, and, uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to what, you know, what the next, you know, 10, 15 years is going to be. Uh, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people, I think, say this, I think, um, you know, starting with Potter in 2010 at Universal and continuously since then, uh, we have been in a new golden age of parks. Hmm. And COVID nearly destroyed that. But because of how resilient this industry is, because of how, how much momentum there was before, because of Potter and Star Wars and all this other IP stuff and the technology, um, I believe that COVID was a blip. And we're still haven't fully recovered in the in the industry, but you know the, the industry is definitely strong again. I mean, look at Universal's profits and Epic Universe, and um, you know, so and, and we're the still Disney, in, the Disney yeah. side of the financial books are doing well too. I mean, they're, yeah, oh, the park side, yeah, yeah, the park side is doing fine. Yeah, it's the media side is problem. The media yeah. side is hurting. Yeah, yeah. So thankfully, we've got better leadership now, and I, I believe they'll get strong again in the media side too. But um, but yeah, so the parks, we're still in this golden age. And part of what's making this a golden age, it, it's the IP kind of, certainly that IP is a big part of it, but the other is the technology that supports that. And, you know, you and I, we, you know, we established before we started recording that we live very close to each other in here in Orlando. So we're on the doorstep of Epic Universe. And I, you know, talk about technology, you know, we know some of the things that's going in there with Nintendo and, and other, you know, and it's just like, but the, it's the things I don't know yet that we don't know yet, the sure. specifics of like the um, Ministry of Magic ride system. And, you know, you have to go beyond, beyond the rumors of the, the details, which you don't have because the rumors. Um, and it's like, you know, how, you know, how is the mock racing coaster going to work? And, sure. you know, 
all this stuff. Right, so, so I'll yeah. give you something that yeah. I think is cool. Yeah. And I don't know where it's going to go, but I like these guys. They're out in California and uh, they're, uh, I don't know if we'll get to the point where, where we can integrate them, but I'll just say it. So there's a company called Ultraleap and they're based out of uh, Silicon Valley. Okay. They, they make um, ultrasonic haptic feedback. So they have little teeny mic. If you go on their website, they have the little teeny uh, speakers. And with yeah. the ultrasonic sound, they make vibrations to your hand. Okay. And you can feel things in air, but you can't hear it. So you can right. feel. So I'm, so I'm wondering if this will evolve to where you could go to SeaWorld and pet the lion. And you can feel the fur on the lion. But, of course, you can't get out to the lion and pet it. But for small kids, this would be amazing. Where could you take this? Could you make spiders that go down you in a haunted house, right, from ultrasonic uh, waves. Uh, the problem a little bit is that your clothes block some of the the, the waves signals and your, oh, okay. hands, your hands have a lot more sensitivity on the bottoms than they do on the top and your hair blocks some of the stuff. But maybe a waterfall, you step through a waterfall, you can feel it, but it actually you don't get wet. Um, some of these things I just find, hey, where, where, what can we put this on? And there's a lot of creative people in our, in our industry that, uh, are better at this than I am and find maybe some cool applications um, for the future. Well, um, do you ever get to experience the void? Uh, no, but I want to go do it. Yes. Yes. Okay. I, yeah. I know about the void, but I want to go do it. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a small part of our industry. Maybe, maybe it's not over. Maybe, I hope their story is not over, but yeah. that is a small part of the industry, at least as of right now here in 2023, that was, deeply affected by COVID sure. and still is. And it's really unfortunate because I love virtual reality and augmented reality. I've done it mm -hmm. from various sources. I've done the IMAX. Yes, IMAX, not with big screens, but that mm -hmm. company does have that. At least they did in LA and I did that and I've done others. And um, I think the technology keeps getting better. I just got, I haven't set it up yet, but I just got a Sony uh, VR2 because I'm a PlayStation guy. But um, the the void is the best of what I've experienced in that arena. And part of it was, it wasn't just visual. You felt heat. Yeah. You felt vibrations because of the backpack you wore. So, you know, you talked about VR being on coasters and being a blip. Yeah, we're probably not going to see a big resurgence of VR in coasters because it's not a good fit because coasters are too physical. They're right. too intense. But, you know, look at AR on the Mario Kart ride. That's going to happen here in Orlando. It's happening in L.A. right now, yep. in Japan. You know, we're going to see other VR, AR things happening as the technology gets better and better. And what this company, right, that you mentioned, if they're not already looking at partnering with VR companies, AR companies, uh, maybe I need to, get a, you need to get a job with them. <laughs> but, I mean, it's obvious to me that's a perfect partner technology for VR yeah. AR. No, they came to one of the um, TEA events, the Theme Entertainment Association events. I, I oh, yeah, TEA. Yeah, I know TEA. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, and they were focused a little more onto the uh, into the gaming world. Um, yeah. But yeah. they thought they, they, they saw there was possibilities in the amusement world. And so um, I still but back to you. Everything kind of went silent during COVID. Yeah. And so I. I, I I'll probably reach back out to them. But anyway, Ultraleap is a neat company. Whether they'll actually make it into our world, we'll see, or whether they'll just... Yeah. Sounds pretty cool, though. It sounds yeah. like a good extension of what I've experienced elsewhere. Yeah, great, mm -hmm. great. Okay, well, let's move on. We've got um, the next part of our interview, kind of the middle of the interview here, um, is usually a fun one. And, um, you know, I want to remind you, you can answer these next three questions 
uh, in terms of coasters or just theme park attractions, rides, flat rides, yeah. and drop towers could be dark rides, water rides, whatever you want, whatever you want, just have fun with it, whatever you, th whatever comes to mind. So first, what is the craziest moment you've had on a theme park attraction or any kind of themed attraction or, or amusement attraction? The craziest. Um, yeah. So, so I'll say when I'm little, the teacups were, were probably the crazy. Well, one. what I mean by crazy <laughs> is where it was. It was not what you expected. You know, things. Okay, as you work in the industry, you know the the, the big joke, so to speak, especially like Universal and even Disney, is the 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 story of any given ride, and especially a thrilling one, is something goes wrong. Oh yeah. Right. right. Okay. So what I'm talking about is. Yeah, not not the joke, not the storyline going wrong, because that's the storyline gets pushed forward, but literally something going wrong, you know, like evax or some, the ride broke down and this happened, um, you know, something wild happened because someone some other person was, you know, in, in, in you know not normal on the ride and you know they maybe they were drunk or yeah you okay, know if, so I'm I'll not trying to feed you I'll, but I'm just giving examples yeah I'll yeah. tell you a story that I yeah. that I've never really shared to anybody but it's gone it's so long ago that I don't think Disney will care okay okay I'm curious because it because they don't have these monorails anymore so I used to drive the monorails back yeah then, right and it was so going around from the Magic Kingdom. That was the ones that, that goes around to the hotels. We were at the Polynesian. Well, it happened that um, one of the maintenance guys decided to hotwire the switch that goes behind to the um, to the back of uh, the Magic Kingdom. And I happened to be in the in the monorail at the time, and there was another driver who was brand new who was driving the front of the train. And I heard through the radio that uh, there. I was not the driver, but I was in the back and I heard something about a switch going on. So anyway, the long story is, to make it short, was I called up to the front cab and I told the, the driver, I said, hey, I think they're doing a switch. When they do a switch, that that switch is completely open. And yeah. so the, the, the monorail can derail. And so wow. I called the front driver and I said, hey, just go slow up to the switch. I swear I think they're doing a switch because normally you can never approach it because of the computer system. It would never let you do it. Yeah. But because the maintenance guy overrid it, overrode it, um, because he, it, he I guess it went faster, he did the switch open. So we came up to the open switch where there was a drop-off and the train would have gone right off the edge. The monorail would have gone right off the edge had he gone full speed. And we stopped. And nobody got hurt, and they put the switch back, and that was really pretty terrifying <laughs> to be very open. But that, uh, wow. but that guy got fired. The maintenance guy got fired, but he yeah, uh, no kidding, as you can imagine. And this was way back in 1989, something like this. And so those all those monorails are gone. They have brand new monorails that that are have completely different systems, and I'm sure that couldn't happen today. And okay, so, so I'm guessing for first of all, wow, yeah, <laughs> wow, that that this not that there's a competition, that story, huh? <laughs> this is not a competition, but this this is one of those questions where we get crazy stories because it's sure. that's what the question is. Yeah, your story is the craziest that we've had. <laughs> we've had some crazy ones because literally lives were at risk, and and because oh, yeah. of what you did, if it weren't for, I mean, be honest with me, if if you hadn't done that. 
It would have gone right off the edge. And you had you had this you had guests on the on the, on the monorail. Yeah, it was late at night, uh, but probably like 10, 11, 10, 11. So the front cab and the first the first cab were, were had guests from the hotel. So it it would have gone off the edge. I mean, you averted a tragedy. You're a hero. I mean, oh, you know, yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. but, you know, I was eighteen at the time. You just <laughs> it just rolled. Right. <laughs> right. That's I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that's something you should really be proud of that your quick thinking, yeah. you know, that's yeah, wow. also self-preservation. Well, yeah, no, but I mean give I mean yeah, give yourself credit. I mean, you thank know, I appreciate you. I'll, I'll, I'll just yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. But, yeah. No, it was just, you know, something unexpected and you know, you're like, okay, um I think this is what we need to do. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Now, uh I'm guessing so that that era was that still the Mark II monorails, the second gen uh, monorails? Is that right? The Mark IV, I think. Uh, gosh, I'm having to think way back then. Was what? it was it at for fourth generation by that point? I think so. Or maybe Mark IV was what they replaced ours with. That's okay, maybe it was Mark III then. Okay, okay, yeah. 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 But I know the, those those old ones. I mean, we had um, nothing was electronic. It was all uh, logarithmic system in it. So right, I, right. I know all that's gone. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Now I'm just trying to understand. So you're talking about a track switch. Mm -hmm. So why is it the track switch would ever need to be in a position where it would be open, where it would create an open gap? Um, if you look between uh, the Magic Kingdom and the um, Contemporary Hotel, yeah, those those parallel tracks are always locked into position. But there is a maintenance spur that transfers. And moves uh, over out of the way late at night when they have to take the monorails back to the shop behind the Magic Kingdom. So, which I know where that is. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah so 99% of the time, they're always locked into one position. They can never go off the track. But late at night when they're moving uh, guests over, well, once again, the, the way it's set up, had not the maintenance guy overridden it, um, you're not a, you couldn't even get close to that open gap uh, without the whole, even back then, without the whole system shutting down. Right, right. Since there's no power on that track, and it would feed back to your emergency brakes. Oh, I see. So it's for the track switch. So basically, it's swinging it over, like to left or right. Correct. Where it would theoretically connect up with another line if other things were done. Yeah, just think of like a regular uh, choo-choo yeah. train track. Just right, just smooth right. over. Right, I got you. Now I'm up, and I'm with you. Wow, that that is, yeah, that. I mean, I know you were not certain of that story, and I realized part of it was. Yeah, if it was okay to say it's been so long, I think that's it's fine. It's so but... long ago, right? This is yeah. forever, and everything's changed. So I, yeah, I, no kidding. Don't wow. stress over that if you if you go to the parks because that's long gone. <laughs> wow, that I I I have a uh, one of my coaster enthusiast buddies. Actually, we need to have him on the podcast. Um, uh, he works the monorails currently. Okay. And yeah. uh, and he but he's been there a while. Not 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 going back that far, but but uh because he's he worked at Disney Paris uh, like before that. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll have to next time I see him, I'll have to tell him about this. This he'll he'll think that's wild. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's 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 yeah, it's a wild story. That's the way yeah. you say. Yeah, wow. <laughs> All right. So my next question for you is again, coaster, theme park attraction, whatever you want, whatever you want. What is your absolute favorite thing? Like if you go at any park, what what one do you want to ride? Mm, great question. Um, of course, I'll have to say it's a little bit on my on my mood, right? Um, sure. I I would say, gosh, I and it sounds super pandering, but I love I like the feeling of kind of flying, and I like uh, Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket. If you sit in the front seat of the first car, 
the back seats uh when we were designing that coaster mauer made the coaster yeah uh, of course it, yeah the, the seats the seats are stadium seating for that yes for that design which we don't make that design anymore and when we made this in the computer it looks great when you make stadium seating because the person in the back can look over the person's head on the yeah. stadium problem is with vibrations and, and high g's there's some flex in the back seat yes and so so there's kind of a, a lot going on especially this, the last seat the last car so it's interesting watching people come off that coaster because people in the first seat the first car are like wow that was great the ones back are like wow it's kind of rough well there's a bit of um flex going on in those seats as as far as the turns and then also the coupling bar has a is kind of like a boat in a trailer a little bit kind of dynamic oh yeah sure lever arm it's a lever arm. yep yep and so so anyway but if you sit in the front seat of the first car late at night over the park and you go into the non-inverted loop yes. playing for me hit rap beastie boys sabotage yeah that's that's just it just fits syncs up perfectly with that coaster so, so I, that's my that's steve boney's recommendation Beastie Boys rap. It's the first one of each rap. Beastie Boys sabotage. And so interesting. Okay. So up the lift is like okay. And then you're right over the top and, and off you go, right? And so Yeah, yeah. Okay. So so you so you opened up I want to say can of worms, but you opened up something there. So I, I wanna I wanna talk about it. You'll 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 like this. You'll like this. Okay. So, okay. So my my journey with, with Rip Ride Rocket, Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket. Yeah. So it starts with um, I had not I did not go on that ride any I had not been to Universal since like 2008. So it was shortly before that ride opened, huh? and I I moved well right before I moved here a year before I moved here I visited here not related to moving here just I had friends that worked for Disney CMs and they got us into the parks for the whole week for free and they're amazing friends they're they're great friends of mine now I see them all the time because they still live here. And it was an opportunity I could not pass up. So for Thanksgiving week, we came into 2017. And we just did, uh, we only did Disney because, you know, free tickets, you know, we're kind of captivated by that. And I had not been to Disney in a while either. So, but my friend who's, you know, she's not a coaster enthusiast or theme park enthusiast, the, the kind of one of the people that works at these parks, part of this family, friends of ours. She, I was talking to her about Universal, like what's new Universal? How's the Potter stuff there? Blah blah blah, and because we, you know, I was curious, and she told me, and I, and I saw a picture of Rip Ride Rocket. And I asked her, "Wow, this looks like a cool coaster." I didn't really know anything about it. None of my friends talked about it, and my enthusiast friends talked about it. She said, "Oh no, we don't go on that. That that car, that ride's way too wild, and we, we've heard it's you know it's 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 crazy." I'm like, "Okay," so that was my first experience just hearing about it. And then I, I moved here in 2018 and got a universal pass about five months after moving here. And I wrote it and I did not write in the front. And I'm like, two thoughts I had. Well, three. One, the music aspect, choosing your own music, so much better than rock and roller coaster. Uh -huh. That's so cool. Uh -huh. um, two, great layout. I love the layout of it. There's some really, there's a, sort of those switchback sort of like, yeah. Quick transitions like Intamin is known for that, that you guys I've never seen other one anyone other than Intamin do that and I love that part of it. But the three the third one was I did not sit in the front and it was I found it rough, very, very yeah. joltish. And I'm yeah. like so and I've written a number of times since then. Right. Um, but I've I I don't think I've I I had not written the front for the most part. I just 
and right. long dreams, you know. So a friend of mine was visiting. This is literally a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And he was in the mood to do Rip Ride Rocket. It was the end of the night. And I had read Rip Ride Rocket much at night. And it's so funny you mentioned what you mentioned because he said, yeah, let's do it. And I told him, yeah, you know, it's, it's rough. He's like, oh, I, I love Rip Ride Rocket. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you got to ride the front. Yep. And so yep. we did, maybe it might have been my first night ride and probably my first front ride. And having me focus on it, I'm like, yeah, it was a much improved experience. Sure. And so now connecting up with you, you know, and, yeah. you, you know, working with the manufacturer, you know, right. and I appreciate the honesty. Yeah, I get it. And me, the engineering, me, it makes sense. The lever arm of the back seat's being higher. Yeah. So now I have a better appreciation for that ride sure. from a yeah. friend and now what you said. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. And, and so if you go on that ride, um, since we're all being cozy here, it doesn't take too long to get to wait for the front seat. Uh, of that one you know you walk up and you say hey it yeah. got a really yeah. long front seat one here they just say stand over to the side for just yeah. one second and so it doesn't take too much to just wait for the front seat some people have told me they don't want it because they don't want to see the drop on yeah. the other side. so if that's an issue <laughs> that's an issue um, right. but uh but to your point you know a lot of the parks are even more magical and beautiful at night and so if you're oh, on, yeah. on a beautiful evening and you're on that ride and you go through that non-inverter loop, just cranking a good song, uh, it's it feels like you're flying. And I, I just, I find that a really compelling ride. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. And the lighting package, you guys did a great job of the lighting package on that. And thank and years later, it works. And one of my favorite yeah. coasters, Velocicoaster, the lighting package has major issues. Uh, you know, and you have to give credit where credit's due. A lot of that was Universal. You know, Universal, okay. when they when they came to us, they said, we want it to look like this. We want to have a sound package that was there. Okay. But but Maurer um, had, as you said, not a long train, so they could make a lot more dynamic movements. Right. And so the smaller, the smaller, you know, two-couple trains allow for very dynamic turns that you won't see on a typical, let's say, B&M, which would be very long sweeping turns. Yeah, length of train makes a difference in terms of what you can do. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I I have a better appreciation for that ride now. And so I I can, if you had told me it's your favorite a few months ago before that experience with my friend, I'd be like, all right, I I, I gotta be, I I gotta be diplomatic here. But but to be, we're all talking uh, openly here. uh, Velocicoasters is that one's awesome. I, I, I you know, uh, one of the things that I'm looking for in a coaster is does it have great transitions, right? Does it uh, give you a moment to breathe, but you know, and that one just has a really good rhythm to it. You know, yeah, pacing. You, we call it pacing. Pace, yeah, pacing, right. The pacing yeah. is excellent in that ride. Yeah. And, and so for those people who are coaster um, aficionados more than I, I'll have to say when I when I watched Dr. Mueller make uh, in Germany make the layout for the ride, he would close his eyes and he would envision. You would see him, and he's got a PhD in mechanical engineering. And he would sit there and he would, you know, in his head, you could mm. see him looking at the drop and turning in his head and his eyes would be closed and he would say okay now it's going to go like this and he would visualize that uh, doing the layout and then make from that the computer drawings and then step by step we make the coaster so that's really cool so he's one of your lead design or, or he is your lead he designer. was and at the time he's he's retired now he's, he's okay. uh replaced by uh dr torsten Ertl. 
<laughs> so we have quite a few. The Germans like their PhDs, and there's quite a few PhDs who work at Mauer. Nice, nice. Well, yeah, Tor Torsten Schmidt does initial layouts, and he's got a, a master's degree, and then from there we take it to some of the doctors for the final calculation. Nice, nice, interesting, interesting. So uh, one last thing I'll say about Rip Ride Rocket, um, the secret menu, and for listeners that don't know about it, just look up Rip Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket secret menu. You'll find out how to do it. It's too long to describe here on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I discovered that a few years ago. Fun. And All right. It makes for very good repeatability. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For more options. Yeah. I don't know what you found, but I felt I feel like the song, if you play a slow song, when you walk off that ride, it feel you. It's a different ride depending on what kind of music you yeah. listen to. For me, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And the one that I found, it's like you know, when you have a favorite restaurant or favorite thing at a restaurant, it's hard to branch out. I, that's what happened. I found something so good, and someone told me about it. Told me try this, and they described it as uh, the you know the the Thor song from Ragnarok, which is immigrant song Led Zeppelin. Uh-huh. Ah, uh, cool. 113. I have it memorized because I have to look it up, you know, on, on my phone each time. 113. And it is it it's not a slow song. You know, no. it's it's a rock, it's a fast classic rock. I love classic rock. Yeah. And it's it fits that so well, you know. Yeah. It's just so, you know. But yeah, for those folks who haven't uh, been on that ride for whatever reason, um uh make sure you have your song ready because it doesn't give you a whole lot of time no. to load station to select your song. So you've got maybe 20 seconds i'm just talk, going off the top of my head 20 30 seconds to get it done otherwise it'll do a default song for you so. yeah exactly and I've, I've had that happen where i'm like i'm not hitting the touch screen quite right and yeah so we, that is a good uh, good advice for listeners thank you so yeah. well on the flip side for you what would you say is your least favorite coaster or ride <laughs> can of worms like you said earlier uh yeah <laughs> so um i hope they don't hear this podcast but i'll just say it uh i you know um down in brazil i was down there at hopihari park i've been there a couple times it's nice nice people nice steaming great thing but they have an old old wooden coaster down there that i was going to go on the ride and somebody said oh don't go on that ride steve it's it's really rough and i said now i gotta go on it and they said why it's it's gonna beat you up you're gonna need a football helmet to go on it and i said well I got to know what the bottom baseline is. I sell coasters. I got to know what the roughest <laughs> coaster is so that I know from there above. What, so I think just from a business perspective, I need to know this. And I went on and it was the roughest, really tough, bad. Uh, when I, what, what's for me a really just ruins a coaster is bad transitions. So if you get. Yeah. If, yeah. That means, you know, a bad snap. So you're in the coaster. Also, it's, you're going left and it snaps right or something like this. It really jerks your head. That's a bad transition. Yeah. And there can be a, a lot of reasons why that happens. Um, but yeah, that coaster head was very old and very rough and had a lot of bad transitions. And and would I go back on it again? No. <laughs> so what, what park was it at? Hopi Hari. It's in Brazil. It's H-O-P-I uh. space h-a-r-i once again uh, lovely people nice folks uh they just have a very rough wooden coaster i'm not sure who made it i think it was america company maybe way back when they have so oh long was it was it montezum yes yes okay so, so you have a backstory for me on this yeah have you ever heard of son of beast yes have you ridden son of beast 
I don't think so. Probably not. Yeah. Son of Beast was made. It is a notorious, it's, it, it, even in the, what we call the GP, the general public, especially in Ohio, they, they a lot of people know about Son of Beast uh, at Kings Island. Um, but especially us Thuzies. Mm-hmm. Son of Beast was um, made by a company by the name of Roller Coaster Corporation of America. Okay. Okay. Uh, RCCA. And uh, they do, they are not known for making or were not known for making good coasters. And they're out of business. And Son of Beast was a creation of theirs. So, you know, when a, when a say a B&M or a Mauer, you know, or an Intimate company that has a lot of experience does something different that's scary enough that's like oh is it going to work or not you know they have they tried it yet have they prototyped it but when you have this sort of not not well known not well experienced company try something crazy like putting a loop on a coaster Mm. you know uh (laughs) uh, well yeah and and even the rest of of son of beast it was an uninspired layout it was it became rough and they took out the loop eventually and it, it was disaster and it, it did not last long, terribly long. It was down a lot and kept having to get repaired. Uh, so I think at some points it was down for more than a year. Okay. So anyway, I did not care for it very much. Uh, well, that was fantastic. Um, you know, especially the the craziest moment. Wow that that will that will be in the the annals of history of this podcast for that question. I uh, I will not soon forget that. I don't think I'll ever forget that answer. That it. Wow that. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so let's let's move on. Uh-huh. So I know you've been looking forward to this next segment. This is kind of the last main segment of the of the of the interview. We're going to talk for a bit about well, what you kind of live and breathe, which is is the company you work for Mauer. Okay. And so to start off with, I know you've been there for fifteen years, but just just tell myself and the audience about kind of Mauer's history. You know, and again, not not your history with them, but you know, okay. just the history of the company. Yep. And they're experiencing designing and building, uh, in particular, coasters, because, again, this is a mainly coaster podcast. So. Yeah, so the people who don't know Mauer, I'll, I'll make it, I'll try to make it brief. Uh, they've been around for about 130 years. Wow. They started off in Germany as a steel fabrication company. And so they would make local bridges and things out of steel that around Munich that, that they needed to make out of steel. And so they would just simply be a local fabrication company. And as... As the world became a lot smaller uh, and a lot of this, the fabrication work would go to Eastern Europe or other places where it was a lot cheaper than Munich, Germany to produce, they said, well, we have two options. We can go out of business or we can make something that uh, maybe they can't make elsewhere for cheaper. And so they started looking at steel products that would be require lots of engineering that Germans do well. And so from that, they started going into the um, uh, bridge bearing. So one of the, the bigger division for Maurer is still a family-owned company. Uh, the Boitlers own it. The, the Maurers sold out to them uh, back in the 60s. And so uh, they make bridge. So when you go over a bridge, almost anywhere in the world, they make the expansion gaps. So when you see the transition from the mountain to the bridge, there's an expansion gap for heat and all this stuff. And so you have to really do a lot of engineering to make those work in all the high winds and all this kind of stuff for earthquakes. And, and then that's the other part of their that business is they make earthquake dampening uh, devices. So it goes under building structural protection. Right. All this is, is, is the, the 
the main part of their business, I'd say probably 70% of the business is this, and they own a lot of the world business uh, everywhere around the world. Not so much in the United States because there's a lot of buy American clauses and a lot of the government contracts. Right. And so, but if you went anywhere else, it would probably maybe you going over a Mauer expansion gap or a Mauer uh, seismic dampener. The York Boitler, the owner of the company and the CEO, has a passion for roller coasters. And so he started back in, I think the first one was 80 something, 1980s, the, the division for roller coasters, because obviously it takes for roller coasters a lot of engineering work back to differentiate yourself. Uh, makes to to make all the calculations for for steel, and so they bought uh, the Schwarzkopf drawings and things like this from Schwarzkopf that went out of bankruptcy, and <clears> so <throat> and so they took the Wild Mouse and they they made the Wild Mouse. They also made for a little bit uh, a drop tower, and then they took the Wild Mouse and made the very first spinning coaster out of it. So isn't that they Bauer was the very first company to make a spinning coaster, <clears> and so. From that, they made spinning coasters, and then they branched out to some different train designs, and then ultimately we pared down to make this kind of short, uh, the new spike system, which won quite a few awards as a new innovation, having a 100-horsepower a motor on the front. It allows you to pretty much make any kind of track design you can dream up now. So we have a class 5 restraint, which means you can do inversions with it but you don't need an energy calculation. So you don't need a hill anymore. So if the hill scares you like it did me, you can eliminate <laughs> them. And so you can you don't need the hill and you can uh, lay out the track almost any way you want, uh, as long as it doesn't exceed the body limitations for you. So, uh, so uh, in order to stay competitive, they've had to stay innovative in, in the market. Um, and so they, but the basis has always been there is, is, is how do we make um, a, a product with steel in it that um, that would be require a lot of engineering work, and so that's been the basis of of getting into the coaster business. And the, the great part for me personally is Jorg Boitler, the owner. He really he spends more time in the amusement part because that's the part he likes. Even though the other side's bigger, he lets Dr. Brown do that. So he so I just work <laughs> when I need something, and I just say, hey, we're working with this, this, and this, and what do you want to do? And it makes it a lot quicker and streamlined, right? So. Nice. Uh, so that's where he's passionate. So the other side, meaning you still do the bridge work and all that. It, they do. I do, I'm not involved with it. Well, not you. I mean, Mauer. Yeah. But Mauer does. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, you know, like you just mentioned there, how, you know, a couple different times in the company's history, they, they looked at like pivoting and looked at, okay, what should we do? And well, we have really good engineers here in Germany. So we should do something that, you know, that's challenging and not something that's easy, something that can differentiate you, which is always good for a company. And that relates to what I said in the very beginning about, you know, why I think some of the best coaster companies and why there's a number of them, um, so, you know, a bunch, actually, well, I would say a bunch, but there's at least a few that I can think of that are, are from Germany uh, and you guys being one of them. And, it, you know, again, with Germany having such great engineers, so it makes a lot of sense that kind of you relating to that there. Uh, and. And then as far as the bridges go, yeah, that, you know, makes sense as far as, you know, being an engineer, I get that. And I, I love tall buildings. I love bridges. I love structures. That's another thing I like a lot. And I like, you know, experiencing those kind of things, tunnels. And, uh, you know, it's important. And people, you know, we occasionally have bridge collapses in different places of all that happens, but it's becoming more and more rare. And, you know, that, you know, the, you definitely want to avoid things like what happened with the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, the original one, which was famous. And you know, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, look it up on YouTube. Tacoma Narrows Bridge, 
uh, collapse and you will won't believe what you will see. Uh, this happened many, many years ago, back in the early 1900s, and it's wild because of resonance. But again, you've got to have flexures and you got to be able to have structures to be able to sway and, and expand and contract with temperature and weather and wind. And, you know, again, buildings like you talked about that as well. And so I didn't realize that Mauer does because that's some of the most important civil engineering stuff that's done in the world is yeah. the earthquake retrofitting and the and the like the stuff for bridges and those are critical infrastructure that is really not easy to do so it's very impressive that you guys have that sort of critical engineering skills you know as part of your your company wow that so i did not you, know that since we're here for stories i'll tell another story uh yeah quick. um the avatar ride right at disney yeah flight of passage you yeah. mean yeah 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 so disney came and talked to us way back before they were going to make it because they knew that we did steel structures and 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 um in this kind of vibration and movement and so they said it's it's easy to find anybody who wants to make a, a building you know we've got plenty of companies in america make a building but we're going to induce dynamic loads into that structure all the time and so oh yeah yeah so you've got basically an earthquake going on into the building uh you know on a regular basis and you have to account for that in the engineering and so that's a difficult challenge but mauer makes you know the the that's what they do on the other side of their business. Right. So marry this up. Uh, unfortunately for me personally, as a sales guy, they didn't want to do it at Mauer because it did hadn't it had no roller coaster to it. There was no roller coaster part to Avatar, and so we didn't do the project. And so, uh, but we, they did come to and talk to us, which was quite nice of them. <laughs> and so, Interesting. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, are you okay? Because not only. You know, have I experienced Flight of Passage? It's fantastic, right? I'm a huge fan of Avatar and the, yep. the the IP, and then love flying theaters, so it's perfect. I love that ride; it's one of my favorite rides in the world. And um, the first time I rode it was that week I was talking about earlier in 2017, Thanksgiving week. Well, one of the friends in that family that worked at Disney that helped get us all in for free that whole week. Um, he's a former um uh sailor ballistic naval sub sailor uh served navy for years really good engineer got hired and he's worked at the park since retiring out of the out of the navy worked at bush gardens and maintenance and then went up to disney now is he universal working in maintenance but when he was working at disney he is this is how good he is he was opening team for flight of passage and then they moved him over to opening team for rise of the resistance yeah so i mean you know it's two of the most complex rides that they have and and big time e-tickets so he was telling me he got us into he got you know he was able to backdoor us basically in the opening months of flight of the passage there in 2017 not wait on three hour lines or whatnot mm -hmm. and uh you know he was telling me you know he was in line with us telling me about the ride and me being an engineer i was nerding out mm -hmm. and he one of the things he told me about this is after the ride he didn't want me to you know spoiled is you know the room movement um and which is part of that that you know earthquake like happening is done with this giant screw at the bottom that that basically screws in and out and moves it up and down because it's an right. authorization and yeah. and yeah i never thought about the fact of how much stress that puts on the structure and it's a giant structure because right. it's a grid of rooms that are moving together which sure. are for capacity yeah but yeah so it makes sense they would come to you guys and and yeah so again thank you for the great segue sure <laughs> because you're talking about disney and while you guys did not work with disney there i know on at least one occasion you worked with disney uh in a different continent and in years earlier 
And what I want to talk about now, and I'm, I'm helping you with the segue here. This is a little bit yeah. of a stretch, but uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, I've ridden so, several of your coasters. In my opinion, where you guys have done your best work, and again, this is just in my opinion, is in your your spinners, your family spinners. Thank you. And yeah, absolutely. And the first one I ever rode, this was back in 2009 or so. I uh, was in France, in Paris, for uh, for work, for a um, customer meetings and a trade show. And I had never been to Euro Disney. And you can bet I made sure I got to Euro Disney. Right, sure. Uh, <laughs> I've actually been to every Disney park on the planet, thanks mm-hmm. to, especially thanks to business travel. And I, I mm-hmm. that's what I was, they call it, kids call it these days a flex. It's a flex I'm very proud of. Um, and uh, so anyway, so I got to go to both Disney parks there in Paris and had a great time. And... You know, the ride, two rides that stuck out for me, of course, the Space Mountain there is, I think, the best Space Mountain because it's the launched one, it's the inversions. But the ride that really sticks out, the one I remember, even more so than Space Mountain, is a ride at Disney Studios Paris called Crush's Coaster. Yes. And I was blown away by two things, how well it's themed. It's themed to Finding Nemo, Crush, of course, the turtle. And it's got these, you know, adorable looking spinning cars that look like turtle shells. And it's inside, it's indoors and outdoors, and it's just so much fun. No, it's not a thrill coaster. Of course, it's a family coaster. Family coaster. And if you want a thrill coaster there, you can go ride Rock and Roller Coaster, now the uh, Iron Man coaster. But but again, I like all coasters, includes family ones. And I was blown away by how fun that coaster was. And, And I, you know, I was an enthusiast back then, but I wasn't, you know, as resourceful, I guess, as I am now. I didn't look up RCD, but I don't even know if RCD existed back then. Um, we're talking 15 years ago, uh, you know, but I did, I did not look up who made it and I didn't really think much of it until later when I started experiencing more of your rides, especially these spinners, and I started kind of learning about them, learning other ones you've done. Well, fast forward to this past, past fall, I think I mentioned earlier, I've been in Germany a couple of times in the past year and discovered my new number one park in the world, which is Fantasia Land. Hmm. And one of the many rides that I absolutely love, 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 and think it's one of the best in its class, along with Colorado River Adventure being the best mine train coaster, Terran being the, well, in my opinion, the best coaster in the world, the best launch coaster, Fly being the best flying coaster, the best theme coaster, all best, the best, the best, Chiapas being the best log flume in the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the best, the best, the best. Um, I was blown away by Lynch's Fear and Force. Yeah, the theming of it—it's won a lot of awards. Yeah, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. And the theming of it, the fact that it's—it's it's a a dual spinner, you know, it's you know dual tracks, which is always fun to have two tracks next to each other racing or dueling or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't want to give too much away. I, I try not to spoil too much on this show because I know a lot of people have not been to Fantasia Land. Yeah. And listeners, I know I keep talking about it because I, you know, if you're going to make trips to go to a new park, it's not expensive. Park That's tickets nice. are cheap. The flights aren't bad. Go to Germany. Go to Fantasyland. Go to Europa Park. They're two of the most amazing parks in the world. Oh, yeah. But in any case, going back to, to you, Steve. So I won't give it away, but there are some interesting trick track aspects yes. to Winter's Fear and Force. And I'm, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm not going to say what they are when they happen. Uh, and that what I was blown away and shocked by because I don't I don't look at POVs in advance. So I was like, whoa, what 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 is this? What just happened here? And well, um, why is this happening when we're doing this? And that's all I'll say. Um, but, you know, and again, the fun spinner aspect. You guys have great 
transitions. You talk about transitions earlier and profiling for your spinners. They are, in my opinion, the best wild mouse style coasters in the world. Yes. I'm not going to disagree with you. I think, honestly, I haven't. It's a bit of a different style. I mean, my good friends at Gerslauer would say, you know, they, they like the idea of a raft ride where you're facing each other. One of the reasons Disney came to Bauer uh, yeah. to talk about the spinning coaster at Crush was that ours, to be very simplistic and honest, is that our space is outward and they have a lot of money in theming. So if you're facing outward, you get to see the Disney theming. If you had Gerslauer, which is facing inwards, you have a harder time seeing the theming, correct? That's a really good point. And I've written some of those Gerslauer spinners and they're, they're fun uh, and nothing yeah. against Gerslauer. Gerslauer makes some know. good coasters. Totally, totally correct, right? It's just, yeah. but, but it's yeah. just, a, it's just yeah. uh, apples and oranges. One's a little different than the other. And yeah. so with Disney and her theming, they wanted something facing outward and then it all worked out quite well as you, as you just are, you know, well articulated. And so uh, it's, it's a very nice ride. We'd love to see them ever duplicated again, although they haven't, <laughs> but there's no reason they wouldn't. Uh, we're in constant yeah. contact with Disney. Have a very good relationship. Nice. That's good to know. Um, good to one of the things, I guess, maybe it's it's a probably the my reason. My guess is is probably capacity for for cars. yeah yeah. Because the, the problem with those really small vehicles is you you can't get operationally more than maybe six hundred seven hundred an hour out of a track, maybe eight hundred. Just depends. Because what happens is you you get cascading in the ride, which means one ride, one vehicle's running a little bit slower. There's maybe just the greases and the wheels is a little bit different. Right. Not as hot. And so the cars behind us start to back up and they start cascading. It's called cascading in the ride. And so you would need to have multiple tracks, kind of like Fantasia Land, to get a higher capacity. Well, now Disney, with their capacity requirements, you know, they, they opened that a long time ago. Their capacity requirements, when they talk to us, are double or triple what they used yeah. to and so yeah. because of all the park attendance, and that means for the guests, they don't want the guests waiting that long in line. And guests don't want to wait that long. So if they, I think if they duplicated Crush, let's say in Florida or something like that, it would be a hard time because the capacity is just a little too low for what they require today. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. And is that why, and maybe you know this answer, maybe you don't, is that why Fantasyland did dual tracks to correct. Capacity? higher capacity? Correct. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, you know, we yeah, you have two you have two tracks. You have twice the expense. <laughs> so right, right. I mean, the, and you know, we talked about we've talked about multiple times here in this interview about how good German engineering is, mm -hmm. um, and engineering is certainly a part of what I'm about to say. But I, again, I just being blown away in my initial visit to Potosi in October, and then going to Wintertraum in December, and being utterly blown away again for so many reasons. I, I yeah, and it actually it's my goal. I know they're so secretive. I have the PR contact there, and I, I keep meaning to email them. I want to have an interview with them. I'd love to interview them on the show. I don't know if they'd be willing to, but if they would, it'd be amazing. But the the level, the, the almost perfection in park planning that they do there, because it's not just finding a ride manufacturer and finding the right one and working with them properly. And it, it's, it's the theming, it's the, putting it all together and cohesiveness and the, uh, Disney universal are amazing. But in my opinion, Fantasyland is, is at a whole nother level. It's, it's, it's that German, it's that German brilliance, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no, it's, it's, it's quite well done. You're hundred percent right. Now I wish more Americans could go over there and, and take a look because it's it's very compelling and it's very nice and it's very well done. Huh? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so to get back on track, you know, literally and figuratively. So I kind of gave a big intro there because again, I'm really passionate about your your spinners. I love them. Uh, so I'm just curious, kind of a couple questions on that. So, you know, in terms of whether it be your opinion or just within the company as a whole, is it regarded within Mauer that that those coasters are are kind of your some of your best work and and why do you think they're so good? Yeah, so when back to in 2016, Mauer reorganized and we realized commercially we weren't competitive with some of the other big trains that we made. We just got over-engineered into them. So they were big and bulky mm. and heavy and we were really expensive. <laughs> so, um, they, so they weren't they we couldn't sell them because they were they were just too expensive comparatively to what everybody else was selling so we paired down to the market to two products currently or uh, i would say two two main parts to the the spinning coaster which we found was commercially competitive still in the market and still in demand and then secondly the new spike coaster which was completely innovative and completely new to the market which would give us a new niche versus trying to be second or third with uh, a similar ride to say Vacoma or Gerslauer or Intamin, this is different, right? Right, right. All kinds of new stuff. So where can we differentiate ourselves commercially in the market and bring new new ideas and new value? The spinning coaster, to your question about best work, we love them. We, uh, I have many customers when I go to parks like Waldemere and Seabreeze and, and Lagoon Park, who have a spinning coach from our Hershey Park has a spinning coach. Oh yeah, I love Laugh Track. Yeah, Laugh yeah. Track is great. Um, they all say the same thing. They're like, uh, yeah, this is such a great ride that we can't not have a, a this ride or a ride like this. Nice. And what if, when I say, I say, what does that mean? Why do you say that? And they say that's a great tweener ride. It's it's between mm -hmm. the little kids and the adults. We have a teenager tweener ride where everybody can kind of go on and still have fun. There's typically a majority of rides are a thrill ride where it's going to hit more of the teenager and above. And then there's kiddie rides for the smaller kids. And there's a very few tweener rides that are in the middle. And the spinning coaster from Mauer seems to hit that right on the nail head or the head of the nail or however you say that. And so interesting that's wow okay no that makes a lot of sense to me i mean that definitely makes a lot of sense to me that's that's, that's the constant feedback I, I i get from the parks uh and but to that point i think most of the parks that can afford that coaster us or gerslauer or uh, tend to either have one already right there's very few parks i go to that doesn't have that already in their portfolio at some point right so it's a tougher it's been around for a while yeah yeah it's a sort of saturated right mm -hmm. right correct yeah. Well, it's, it's okay. So speaking of, you know, obviously, because you're a sales guy, and sure. I'm a sales guy. So sales, it, you know, it's partly about, you know, relating to your customers, building relationships before, but it's also about having the right thing to sell. I mean, you could have the greatest relationship with a customer, but if you don't have what they need, you don't identify their pain or what their needs are, then, you know, you're not going to sell anything. So on that second part of it, I, I and this is not something that originally I was planning on asking you, but I just thought of it. So I, you know, I, I love your family spinners, you know, like Laugh Track, Crush, Crush's Coaster, uh, Winches is amazing. And I've ridden other spinners, you know, Gerslauer's, they're good, but I don't think they're as good. Um, and I've ridden, um, you know, Mach's family spinners. Yeah. And Mach makes great coasters. 
Uh, and, you know, and I like Dvorholand. I just wrote that for the first time when I was in Europe in December, Toverland. And Dvorholand, what's that? Have you been on, the, you been on their uh, time machine? At, um, oh, well, that's what I'm getting. I'm going to get to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Jump so, again. Yeah, I'm going to relate because I want to. I'm going to take this, of course, back to Ma to Maurer. This is I want to talk about Maurer, but and I'm going to relate that here in a moment. So, Dribble Wind is a family spinner. It's akin to your family spinners, what you guys already do, um, and it was fun, but it's not. It's not a Winjas. Yeah. Uh, it's not a Crush's coaster. It's fun though. Um, however, to your point, Mock, they have done amazing things with spinning coasters with their thrill spinners. Yes. Um, you know, with for example, Time Traveler and the absolute amazing Ride to Happiness. Yep. And, you know, the launches, the, the the rotations, you know, you know, the spinning with the in the inversions and, you know, the the, the drops and, and all that stuff. So what I'm wondering is, is I, I know you guys do powered, you know, launch, you know, launches with and we'll talk about the spike here more in a moment. We're going to be talking about that. But you, I know you guys have not done extreme spinning coasters and you've not done like LSM style launches. Could you, I mean, and I know you may not be able to say anything if you're really working on something, but I'll put it this way. Maybe it's just a statement. You don't even have to answer anything, but I would love to see, given how well you guys have done with the family spinners. And in my opinion, I think you're better than mock in this way. I would love to see what you guys could do with getting into LSM launches and doing extreme, extreme launch spinners. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can speak openly on it. It's 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 great. Yeah. It's 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 easy to answer, honestly. Um, to take it to Mox level, we could totally do that. The the, however, that's a very expensive coaster. If you go look at it, it's it's very heavy, bulky for all yeah. the sims and all that to pay. Yeah. So you, you would have to, um, which is you would have to re-engineer the chassis to a very large bulky system, which a robust probably is a better word, robust system to handle the LSMs and all the forces you're going to put on it. Yeah. Just a gravity coaster. And that commercially brings you to a higher level that only a certain number of parks can afford. So, yeah. So if you took that same coaster and you went to a Waldemere or a Seabreeze, they couldn't afford that coaster. And so... We would think, you know what, Mox already got that commercially, and there's only a few parks, so do we want to go head-to-head -head with them? Also, the second part to the answer is that the spinning coaster has been out on the market for a really long time, and there's a lot of parks that have them, and they're kind of saturated. So do we want to spend the money to innovate that to maybe a slightly higher plus and still have you know, competition with Gearslauer, Mock? Uh, potentially Intamin can make a coaster though they could if they wanted to and they wanted to us. or do we want to invest more into the spike system which is more unique and could we do some more different things with that is is the future for us at the moment so will we continue to make spinning coasters yes do I see us making more innovations to it probably not just because of what I said commercially the market's got a lot of players in there and to jump it up to a higher level, there's there's really mock, and there's only a few people who could potentially buy it at, at that at that point. You've made a lot of good points, and that makes a lot of sense. And that's really really highly. Uh, I learned a lot there. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. right to happiness was 15 million euros, which is basically at parity with a dollar right now. So you know, 15 million dollars. And time traveler was like 26 million, which I mean, that was a major investment by right. by the Christian family. And yeah, to your point, like yeah, Waldemir, you know, wouldn't be able to do that. 
you know, yeah, it, yeah. 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 yeah, so you, you, so I, so back to it. Technically, I think we'd love to do it, but commercially, it, it, we have to kind of think about where to, to place our bets. Yeah, know? and and you're better off, you know, in in some cases, you know, competition, you know, Intamin and Vacoma compete a lot, for example, sure. and but they're both at, at, you know, at a different different you know price point too with their a lot of their coasters and. Um, you know, you could say if competing is good, because, and of course, competition is good because it breeds innovation. But on the other hand, in terms of business plan, you know, in diversifying yourself from or differentiating yourself, I should say, from your competition can be very advantageous. And you guys taking that approach makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Makes yeah. a lot of sense. Sure. So speaking of that, <laughs> so uh, I, I love cruises. I love traveling and cruises as part of that. I've done several cruises over the years. I've not done one in years. I'm actually about to do one uh, with a friend of mine who gets free cruises because we're gambling in the casino yeah. all the time. I, it's not going to be, unfortunately, on the ship. I, uh, you know, I'd like it to be in terms of this next question. Uh, it's going to be on a Royal Caribbean ship, which I love Royal. Um, and I hope that Royal, um, by the way, starts doing what, well, Carnival's been doing, uh, yeah. you know, with what they did with the Mardi Gras, with Bolt. And yeah. hopefully one day, maybe I'll get on, on Carnival. I just, I'm not a big Carnival cruise guy that's, just my personal thing. I like Royal style better, uh-huh. but regardless, you, you know what you guys did. And you talked about this a little bit earlier with bolt, with the spike coaster, you know, the first coaster on a cruise ship. And yeah, that makes, it's a big deal to enthusiasts. Absolutely. But it's also a big deal to the general public. I mean, that's, that's what the cruise lines are doing these days. They're putting go-kart tracks and they're yeah. doing these crazy theater. They're differentiating themselves, you know? So you, you, First of all, I, I had no idea, and it makes sense because Carnival is an, is an American company. So you were the sales guy. You know, you pitched it in his cubicle. Yes, you're the reason why Bolt happened. Yes, <laughs> not cool. like to to pat myself, but yeah, no, that's but that's what a sales guy is supposed to do, right? Yeah, no, it's an accomplishment. I I celebrate my accomplishments, my big sales, and yeah, right. you know, we got you know that's it's nothing. It's not narcissistic to be proud of your accomplishments. Right, obviously. it ain't bragging if it's true. Yeah, ex- exactly. So right. very cool that you were the one to do it. And, and I didn't realize when we um, set up the interview that you'd you know, be a great person to talk to for this question for that reason. But um, you've already kind of answered how, you know, what I was going to ask you here, which was, you know, how the project came to be because you oh. told the story. Thank you. But can you talk about what unique challenges you faced in making that project a reality? Yeah. And maybe I'll digress and maybe answer a little bit of your question about the market in general for the cruise ships, because yeah. uh, I would love, of course, being a salesperson and, and seeing such a great hit with Carnival, see it go elsewhere. Um, yeah. So I'll start there and then I'll answer the technical side. Sure. Yeah, great. Uh, commercially, when I've talked to Norwegian and Royal Caribbean and MSC, um, they're a little different than the parks and just in the way they, they think at the moment. And, and sure. uh, I'll finish with Disney's cruise lines. Um and it's a funny story because we all like funny stories. So when I talked to Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, and MSC about a spike system that would be different, unique to them, but have the same kind of motor and conveyance, but, you know, just like any other roller coaster should be unique to whatever we were doing with them. They all three, this, three said the same thing. They said, nope, that's what Carnival has. Uh, we want something completely different. And I'm like, well, we can make it completely different. And, you know, just because Six Flags has a coaster and Cedar Fair does quite well with coasters too. And yeah. Disney, you're like, nope, we want something completely different. Mm. What else do you have? 
No, that's what we have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, so, so far, they've been reluctant to discuss further than what I just said. They want something completely different. Um, then Disney came along and bought out of bankruptcy uh, the Ginting ship. Yes. Died during COVID. So um, to the funny part of the story, during IAPA, this was announced they bought the ship, and that ship has a, a spike coaster on it. It's, it's, a, it's um, Disney's newest ship. Already had a spike coaster built for it. It does. Yeah. So it, so they have a they have a coaster, and so when they came up to me at the show and said, "Listen, Steve, we bought the Ginting ship, and it's got your spike coaster on. It's a different layout than the um than the Carnival ship, and we've got to talk about and learn everything we need to know about it." And I said, "Listen, if you want to buy a spike coaster from me, you don't need to buy a whole cruise ship. I'll sell you one." With the <laughs> but. You know, if you need if you need to buy a whole cruise ship, that's fine. We can do it that way too. So uh, that said, uh, my hope is because I've asked Disney. I said, "Hey, this was before they bought the Genting ship." I said, "Would you buy a, a spike system, even though the Carnival has one?" And they said, "Of course we would. Why wouldn't we?" So <laughs> their mentality after after running theme parks was just as you would expect. It was, yeah, we would, we would have no problem buying. We'd, of course, theme it differently. We'd Disney it and make it our own. But yeah, why wouldn't we? Was their exact answer. Um, so my, my point is, I hope for the industry, back to the commercial side, that if, if Norwegian and Royal and MSC see that Disney has taken a cruise ship yeah. and made it their own and, and done their own system, then they could potentially also do something for themselves, even though that is uh, a, the conveyance to motors is is you know similar but it's theirs and so we'll see how that goes right so did i say that? yeah interesting so a couple things to unpack there so first of all um i had heard independently about the genting ship not about having a spike coaster but i, I listen to a lot of other podcasts and yeah. a couple of them have covered that especially um the uh dis unplugged pete werner's podcast you know dream of some limited travel a great great podcast to recommend them and they covered they talked about it a few, month or two ago you know back during iapa and um around that time and you know surprised actually they didn't mention uh about the the spike coaster so that that to be clear for our listeners that ship is under construction it, it's not a ship that it's not like you know a case where a ship is finished no. And another cruise line buys it after it's an operation. Correct. Yeah, yes. it's still it's still in a shipyard. They yeah. got it was in the shipyard during COVID. The, the 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 coaster was more or less finished and ready to be installed because in the shipyard prior to COVID, you have to be almost like an assembly line. You have to be on time and in place. Otherwise, there's all kinds of fines. So we had to get everything up and made for Genting ship prior, all the tests and adjusts and everything at the factory and made the whole track before. Um, before shipping it to the shipyard, and then COVID hit, and everything went sideways. So yeah, yeah, and interesting too. Yeah, so and that ship was being designed for the Asian market, correct? And now Disney's buying it, and they'll and it's not who knows, you know, what's going to wind up happening as they finish it, and where it's going to wind up, and you know, it could wind up rotating. But you know, Asian cruise lines, a a Asian ships designed for those markets are very different than, you know, Mediterranean or certainly U.S., Caribbean, that's, you know, Alaska, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how Disney kind of makes it work into their portfolio because it's not like their other ships. Right. Uh, and I've never done a Disney cruise line, a, cru a Disney cruise. 
I've always wanted to. And now knowing that there's going to be a spike coaster on this, this ship makes me very, and see, this is what you want to hear as a sales guy. You want to hear, yeah. you know, your customer, you know, the end users, you know, they want, they want it, right. uh, you know, the ones that, that are paying the money. Um, so I, I would, you know, and again, I hope to maybe get on that ship now that I, especially knowing this, but I, Royal, I love Royal. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited in about 10 days here to get back on a Royal Caribbean ship for the first time in like 11 years. And, uh, you know, their thing, as far as entertainment, you know, amusement, they're more into like the zip line stuff because they have that on their ships. They have that, um, you know, at their Coco Cay and Labadee, their private islands. Yep. Uh, they also do iFly, but that's a contracted thing as well. But and their other, their really big thing is their, wa their water slides, you know, their water parks. Sure. And I have a lot of parks that I'm looking forward to, you know, experiencing some of that stuff and hopefully eventually getting on the Icon, their new class mm -hmm. coming out this year, which is going to have a huge water park at sea. Um, so I get why maybe right now they're not focusing on you guys, but maybe that'll change, like you said. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's driving the gate, you know, as we say in the park world or, or driving bookings, I guess, in their world. Yeah. At some point, you got to look at it. And so, um, but, you know, give it time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, the fact that the Genting ship has a spike coaster makes me ask the question to the degree they can answer this. Obviously, in some cases, they're too early on to talk about. Are there other uh, installations happening or going to happen that you know of already of the of that spike coaster on cruise ships? Yeah. Um, so the Genting, just a little bit, if the Carnival ones, we've done Mardi Gras and um, uh, Celebration or, or already out there one's in miami celebration the other one's at port canaveral uh, oh okay so okay. we have two ships are exact cop more or less exact copies of each other so the layouts on each one are exactly the same right so we, we have a third ship in production it's yet a third copy of the ship uh carnival said it's their that layout that they have for mardi gras it's their most popular ship it's their biggest ship they've ever done right and so at the moment we're talking about a fourth ship and that's still in design and who, who knows exactly how that all go, but we're, we talk every week about it. And so um, we'll see how that, that design comes to about uh, more. I can't say on that one. The Genting ship uh, obviously wasn't involved with Carnival, a competitor. And so Disney, Carnival was the first to market with the first roller coaster on a ship. And in Genting's marketing is the biggest. So there's a, there's a little longer than um okay and uh carnivals and so so disney will be able to say well, they have the longest roller coaster if they really want to go down that rat rabbit hole <laughs> so, now, yeah yeah i gotcha gotcha now the spike coaster the way it's implemented on these cruise ships it holds what what two people at a time yeah it looks like a motorcycle front and back and so it has twice the acceleration for Porsche 911. And I didn't really answer your technical questions about the challenge. And I'll kind of run through that real quick. Oh, fast. yeah, yeah, right. We got away from it. Yep. Yeah. We got away. We go, I, I drove you off on the commercial. <laughs> so the technical side is we had put all the vehicles in saltwater baths and tried to wring out whatever we could as far as what would corrode out in the marine environment uh, early on, what kind of uh, wirings would corrode and connection points and things like that, and what we could either bolster with marine type of wiring, for example, or what do we need to replace on a, on a faster basis uh, out on, on the ship? Sure. Additionally, additionally, on the ship, we have a complete spare vehicle out there that we could cannibalize if we need parts. So because 
a ship you aren't close to, you know, a UPS store where you can have something FedExed or whatever the next day if you need a new part. And so we had to have a complete new, um, a new um, vehicle waiting if we need to go get stuff. That that's good points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so there's two out on the track running at all times, and they run twice through the the circuit. Because on the ship, we don't need the high capacity that you need on land. And because right. you're on a ship for an entire week, uh, the, unlike, the, unlike the, a lot of the gated parks, it is an upcharge on the, on the ship. And it's I think it's $15 or $17. I think it's $17 oh, upcharge. But that also keeps the capacity low. So they make it quite easy for you to go take a ride. Just go with there with your little wristband and put your wristband on there and go take a ride, right? And so it's it's... Honestly, it's beautiful. You're 18 stories above the ocean, and every time you go to a different port, there's a different there's a different view, and it's yeah, unique. It's, it's so unique, and it's it's a great smooth track with good transitions. And you drive it yourself. When you know when can you drive your own roller coaster? Right. And acceleration is so massive on it that when we had uh, the drones trying to take the videos, the drone couldn't keep up. It would just blow past the drone. So we had to like get the drone running before before the person took off. So we continued to film. <laughs> so wow, that's pretty cool. Interesting. So, so well, okay, I'm just going to ask this. So as far as the drone stuff, so are you guys happy with the filming you've been able to do, or are you still kind of looking maybe to find someone that help you kind of with that challenge or no, no, no. That was just when we were they were able to make the filming work. They, they, work. Just, okay. they just had to get have the drone do a running start. And then they were able to film it. When they first See, ran it, yeah. the, the, the spike left the drone in the dust if it was a race, <laughs> right? Right. So, so they gave the drone it. a running start and it worked out just fine. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you, one of my uh, follow-up questions you got already answered was the capacity. I was already kind of doing the math in my head. I mean, you know, these cruise ships, they, you know, 4,000 people, some have six, but not, not carnivals. They're not that much. You know, I think what is, is the, like that class, the Marty five thousand something is five thousand the middle yes, okay on board, i believe and then right but but you're gonna have a mix you're gonna have young kids you're gonna have older people that don't ride and yeah and plus it's an upcharge so that that helps too and that, and i would totally pay the 15 bucks but i'm a thuzzy yeah. so I, my guess is i've never asked carnival this but just my personal guess if you're on the ship for an entire week and you're not elderly or something else you, right you got a whole week you're probably going to go up there and get get a ride so they're probably going to get at least 4,000 people sometime in that one week to go up there and, and spend $15, sure. right? Would be my guess. Or, or maybe more. You yeah. may have people spend it a couple of times because it's really fun. So. Yeah. For the cruise I'm doing in a couple of weeks, it's on the Independence, which is um, a similar size ship. It's, I think, a little bit smaller, 4,000 um, uh, passengers or so. Uh, it doesn't have, again, a coaster, but it has like a skateboard room which i love escape rooms and and other sort of lower capacity things like like this and already reserved a slot escape room wasn't hard to get you know a couple weeks before the cruise i just did it a few days ago and yeah so and, and i believe i'm i'm a fan uh, i'm a planner so i have no problem with you know the general kind of reserving in advance sort of things as long as it's not you know too crazy and too much thought involved it's just a thing here and there you know, just a sub experience. Yeah, no problem. Like the void, I did the same thing when I did it a couple times. But so yeah, so that no, that sounds very reasonable. A fifteen, you know, fifteen, even twenty dollars, whatever it may be, that sounds very reasonable. And 
So, so yeah, make you feel, to be, yeah, make you feel better. I'm I'm actually in a couple of weeks also going on a Royal Caribbean cruise. Uh, back to my oh, Disney nice. days, I used to work three years in a Norwegian pavilion, and my Norwegian buddies and I stayed great friends. And so we have twenty Norwegians and I on a ship uh, in the end of March, going on a ten day cruise uh, for celebrity. And uh, so that Disney connection still from way back then, was, I still got it. We still have so much fun together. Awesome. And so, yeah, we're going on a cruise uh, and it doesn't have a roller coaster on it. And I've told the carnival guys they know. And, they're, and you know, they're kind, <laughs> of like our, they're, they're kind of like our industry. They're like, oh, just like I would say it's Gearslauer or it's, or it's Sophie and B&M. They're like, oh, that's a good ship. You should try this and this and you should try this restaurant. And they're, they're super yeah. good, right? It's, it's no big deal. Yeah, it's 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 not. Thankfully, the, the theme park industry is not, for the most part, cutthroat. Oh. It's like you said, fairly friendly. And yeah, I, I, the more I've gotten to know people, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, by the way, what ship are you going on a royal? Uh, it's the celebrity. Celebrity is is, is the brand. Uh, oh, I thought it was not Royal Caribbean. Celebrity is said? Royal Caribbean, but there's several celebrity brand. I, I think. Oh, right, the sub brand. A sub brand, right? Of Royal, right. right? Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I'm not as familiar with. I'm more familiar with Royal's mainline, but um, I've done their Oasis class, which is amazing. Absolutely. Well, the Norwegians set this whole thing up, and they're like, "Steve, you have to go." Okay, fine. <laughs> and, and, and to your point about booking early on stuff, they go, "Yeah, we have to book early because the Americans book up everything because they're very organized." <laughs> <laughs> The Norwegian's a little more free flow, right? Right. Yeah, that's right. culturally. Of course, we're we're painting with a broad brush stereotypes here, which which often are true, but not. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But so one last question on the on the um, on on the the Mardi Gras and all the 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 coasters on these ships, the Bolt and all that. Um, so they're powered with a 100 horsepower motor. So is this is this electric powered? Correct. So it it has a a bus bar or electric rail that's where you can't touch it. But right. it pulls power from that and it feeds to a 100 horsepower motor. Motor's been around forever. And then it has a gear on the motor and the gear runs in a track. And so just think of a, a gear teeth. Right. The teeth are on the track and it runs around the track. Uh, so that means um, it's very, very precise and it has a lot of and it, it has a control system and everything's done through the motor. It's very cool. Disney loved it when they saw it. They're like, oh, this is such a great idea because you don't have any sensors out on the track. You have to mess with oh, it. Oh, right, right. Because it, yeah. it counts rotations of the gear. Yeah, cool. yeah. I, I've worked with motors quite a bit. Yeah. Not not so much in sales, but in, in previous lives, as we say, in career, my career, yeah. you know, before working in sales. So I used to work in sales. Yeah. yeah. But my point being yeah. is out on yeah. a ship, uh in hot weather and all that if you have a sensor that you need to to be messing with a lot of times those things will have difficulties and faults because the one sensor is moving a little bit as the heat expands the rail or moves moves the the metal from uh, from expansion and so sometimes that makes it a little bit problematic and tricky this has none of that because it's doing a completely different system where it counts the rotations of the gear to tell the computer control system where it is at all times. And so gotcha. much so, it's okay. interesting. It, the reliability is, is, is quite good. In that so, the, so that's kind of what I was going to follow up that question or that comment with, so the reliability has been really good in these installations on yep. these acceleration yep. Mardi Gras. Nice. We've had, we've had like anything when you install the first, you know, test and adjust, we've had some, some issues here and there, but, but nothing, yeah. nothing difficult. Right. Very nice. 
Wow, very nice, excellent. Okay, well, um, kind of one last question to kind of wrap up the, the Mauer part of the interview and then we'll finish up the whole interview itself with a couple more questions. Okay. So, uh, you know, I was at IAPA last year and I uh, found out and kind of got to check out a little bit uh, a new uh, in, uh, innovation you guys have come up with, which I think is an app that kind of extends the the bulk kind of technology, the spike coaster technology, if I'm, if I'm understanding correctly. Uh, so why don't you tell our listeners about what you've done with your ride vehicles? And, and if you could confirm, is it something that can be done with a spike coaster? Yeah, so the there's a couple of innovations to the spike system. Um, when you have a drivable coaster with only two seats, you it's great you know driving is awesome but if you you have lower capacity because there's only two seats and so on each vehicle so we rolled out a spike fun which is a train version of that so at this one you can't drive but you have a higher capacity but what that does do is allow you still to lay out the track any way you want to you can go backwards forwards on the track um and, and have multiple accelerations on the track at different points uh so Four or five different rope ride profiles. The restraint system on it is is very cool. So just imagine a seatbelt that's very high tech, and the seatbelt allows for class five inversions, meaning you can go upside down with just a seatbelt. Wow, which is really cool. And so yeah, so it, all the all the technology you've seen to holding you in restraint is all just now into a seatbelt, which is really neat because. From a safety perspective, there's all kinds of body types. There's bulbous people, there's tall, there's lanky, there's all this. The seat belt that self-tightens down and it has a lots of redundancy within the belt can tighten down to anybody. It, it really just goes right. And so there's no click-click into your gut or anything like that. So almost every kind of body type imaginable um, is allowed to ride on the, with, the, with the seat belt. And so... Uh, the other side of the seatbelt is if you were doing inversions that were very high up, for example, on a, on a brand new coaster, something like this, you may find that the pucker factor is kind of high. <laughs> <laughs> so because of that, we made another just standard over-the-shoulder restraint. So if the park says, oh, that's a little bit too scary for my guests, well, if that's their decision, we also have a new class five restraint that they can choose from. And then Lastly, the, some of the, the seats on the, the new Spike Fun. Spike Fun is a, is a marketing name for a train. Um, allows the seats to tilt back. So you could potentially do wheelies on the track or you could potentially go over inversions and slide down the other side of the hill. So you could actually uh, rotate the seat while you're in the middle of, of flying around the coaster track, which is kind of fun, right? You get to control your own pitch and angle and all that kind of stuff on the seat. And so... Um, so those were the kind of the, the main innovations we had out on on the on the floor at IAPA. And all that's got all because you were talking about earlier, it pulls electricity from the rail. We can have all kinds of lighting and onboard sound as much as they want. We're not, we're not having batteries on there. It's, there's no batteries. Or, or yeah, that's what I was wondering about earlier about the 100 horsepower motor on the existing spike coaster designs. If if it was a battery based and I was hoping it was bus bar, you know, like bar. thing where you don't have to worry about batteries because that can be a challenge. So that's good to know. So, yeah, I experienced the tilting seat myself. I actually got to, you know, try it, demo it. Uh, and that's actually kind of what led to this interview is talking to people there and they gave me their cards and, you know, I got in touch with you uh, through yeah. that, which was great. I'm glad, glad I did. And, uh, but I got to try out the, the tilting seat and, and, but it was, you know, I didn't get into a discussion with them about 
how it could be used, like we, you just described. It was good to kind of hear the other side of it of how that would be used on a coaster. And it was, you know, again, like the spike design about controlling the speed, it's kind of cool to be able to control the tilt yourself. That's really neat. Yeah. Uh, I'm very curious, though. I did not hear when I was there about the seatbelt, about the, the spike fun. Mm -hmm. So so a couple of things there. So first of all, on the seatbelt side of it, uh, you, you know, besides just describing it, I get it a little bit more um, familiarly, if, if, if to use that term, uh, because I don't know if you experienced this at IAPA last year, and I forget the name of the company, but there was a company there that had a frog hopper that okay. is seatbelt only. Okay. I know I didn't. Does the IAPA week is my busiest week of the year? Yeah, your street. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you got a lot distracting I, you, so we need to experience it. But, you know, I, I myself and, and various friends that uh, were there, uh, it was kind of funny what wound up happening during the week that I was, you know, during IAPA. Some people didn't get there till later in the week. And so, and I love playing tour guide. It's kind of part of me loving helping people is I love playing tour guide at parks and, you know, sightseeing, whatever. And so I was playing tour guide and I was leading people around kind of greatest hits and, oh, you got to see this. You got to check this out, you know, and some of the people, you know, they're covering for their YouTube channel or even other podcasts or whatever. So one of the things I was sure to take them by, and it was this, this frog hopper and doing a frog hopper, you know, and it's an adult one. It's not a, not a kid one with a seatbelt only the airtime there. Again, I like airtime. I told you I do like airtime. It was wild. So <laughs> poster with just a seatbelt. Yeah. Wow. Now, the the spike fun, whether it be with the seatbelt or with the over the shoulder yep. restraint, is that something that could be put on a cruise ship, or is that too much for a cruise ship? Um, the spike fun, we 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 could totally put on a ship. The, maybe the biggest difference is because we were talking about earlier the capacity requirements on the ship isn't uh, high at right. all, comparatively. Right. I think the ship would prefer that the guests be able to drive their own coaster is is more marketable and interesting than. A, because the, both the, the traditional spike and the spike fund can have that seatbelt or both could, can have that seatbelt design on it. So right. the two-seater can do everything the spike fund can do. I see. And more is, is shortly. The, but the, the drawback to the two-seater is the capacity. And I see. Yeah. For the so ship. the regular spike coaster, that could get the seatbelt only restraint? Oh, it has it right now. You go on the ship and it has just a seatbelt. It has what oh. Okay, so the celebration of Mardi Gras, they have a seatbelt only. Correct. Oh, I didn't know. That. Again, I've not experienced these yet. Okay. Talking yeah. to you, I want to right. more, and I'm like, well, I can do another Carnival Cruise. <laughs> I, I just, I, I didn't have a great experience, but this was years ago with an older ship. This is not brand new ships, and so yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm like World Caribbean. Come on, get with the program. You got to talk. So to if you, if you, Andrew, if you really just want to go drive the coaster and you have just too busy of a schedule, you can do what their competitors do and everybody does on their ship. They gave me their secret for work because it just consider it work. They said what you do is you go down and you buy a cruise for whatever the cheapest amount you can get. Let's just say a thousand dollars for argument. Yeah, and then you take the the Mardi Gras or celebration to the first port. You get off at the first port and you fly home for work, and but you get to test it. <laughs> and this is what they do. They said, "Listen, if there's a new feature on one of the other ships, it's work." And so they, they'll take they'll they'll go to the first port and get off and then fly home. But they've gotten their experience in. Right? Oh, okay, are you saying for competitive analysis, like correct? Well, we'll do that on. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So they'll they'll do that rather than you know they're not going to give 
their their uh, employees a full week's vacation. Right, right, right. right. Interesting. Well, I'm going to, after we're done with the recording here, I'm going to check um, the celebration of Mardi Gras itineraries because my big thing is I don't have a lot ton of PTO with work right now because I started a new job in, in uh, November. Uh-huh. So uh, the independence, for example, I leave Friday, come back Monday morning, so it's easy to minimize time off work. So if Celebration or, or Mardi Gras have those reduced itineraries over a weekend, then uh, yeah, I'm signing up. But uh, anyways, otherwise I'll do them later when I have more time. But sure. but uh, yeah, thank you for kind of going through the little journey there, talking about the cruise ship stuff and the, and the, the spike technology. And I didn't know about spike fun. And yeah, that's, uh, wow, you guys have got some good things going on. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, sounds like I'll probably see more likely to see a spike fun at a park, land-based park. I, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, the, the racing aspect of, so we, from Mirabalandia and Ducati, we put a, a dueling coaster so you can. You yeah, can, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah so you go to Italy and see the dueling coaster. Uh, but it, you're going to need a, a, a bigger budget for that, right? So it would probably be more your middle to upper park that could do the, that kind of I racing. See. It's just commercially, but the Spike Fund could could probably fit in a, in a smaller to medium park as well. Of course, a larger park easily. So yeah, when I heard about the Mirabilandia one, that interested me just from the theming aspect. Is I rode sport bikes for years, and so I, I love the, the the concept of that. That's really cool. And that's why I love Tron so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's another story. But anyways, um, all right. Well, well, thanks for talking all about Mauer Rides. And I learned a lot about you guys I didn't know. I hope our listeners did too. Uh, fascinating. Yeah. Really some really cool stuff there. So, And uh, I'm excited for what you guys have got going and planned for the future. Um, so the so last couple questions here, um, these are kind of thought-provoking questions. And the first one, it, we, we added it here in season three, and I think it's going to be here to stay because it's very poignant. We added it because one of our uh, biggest fans of Coaster Challenge from the very early days, even before we were a podcast, uh, was a young guy named Dusty, uh, his teenager, and he sadly, sadly, um, suddenly passed away a few a few months ago. And uh, it's, uh, David and him were friends because Dave was friends with the family, him and his mom and his dad, and. Uh, it's very sad, very unfortunate, and it put mortality at the forefront for for David and and for the rest of us by association. And so David said, "Yeah, we should start asking this question." And I'm glad he did because I think it's a great question. So that's so that's kind of to explain to you, Steve, where this question is coming from. So question is is how would you you know after you pass away? Hopefully that's not for a long time, of course. How would you like your family and friends, your colleagues, people that knew you to remember you by? Uh, it's, it's uh, I think kind of easy for me. Uh, I'm being a salesperson. I just, I just love to, to hang out with my friends. And what do I, what do I want them to remember is hopefully I'll remember some of the laughs we've had together. Cause usually every week I'm laughing with somebody having a good time. And if, yeah. if they can remember, unfortunately, when I think about life, you know, unfortunately, in a hundred years from now, if you think back, who do I know in history from a hundred years ago? Oh, George Washington, uh, <laughs> Thomas. The, the list is very small. Right. So the people who may remember you at all after some time is just the people that you with you're with um, more often than not. And if they sure. can just remember, yeah, Steve was great. He always made me laugh. We always had a good time together, and he was always somebody who was dependable dependable 
then that I, yeah. I would be happy with that. That would be because I don't expect it for 500 years from now somebody to remember my name. But the people who were around me at the time would be enough for me. I'd be totally happy with that. Well, uh, to tie back to one of the earlier questions and your amazing answer to it, uh, you know, I guess I suppose that, you know, that a lot of these people they didn't know they wouldn't know you. Uh, but you know, a couple of the coworkers that were involved, they they, they knew you like the driver. Um, certainly, you were dependable that day with that monorail and stopping it from a tragedy. I mean, wow! I mean, that's dependability right there. Yeah, thinking, dependability, thinking, thinking right? Hard and yeah, so yeah, you're, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, you were a dependable guy for sure. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, and hopefully, we had some good fun stories as well that made made people think, laugh, and say, "Oh, no, that's that's that's, that's funny," right? And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we cover serious topics on this. Um, you know, we certainly have some other questions that are more lighthearted. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, you know, our main mission is a serious but a very important and valuable topic. Right. Um, again, theme park therapy and improving one's lives while, while, you know, having a great time. It's like a win win. Um, and that's what, you know, parks are so amazing for that reason. But, totally. you know, we, we tend to have some fun in these interviews, and you and I have had some good chuckles here and some yeah. good stories. And, and that and that's always great when we have that balance. So I appreciate yeah. you kind of lending that sense of humor. You know, here we have two sales guys talking to each other. Of course, there's going to be some laughs. Absolutely so. right, right. <laughs> and I appreciate you taking the time and to chit chat with me and learn a little more about what we do and my day and your day and all that kind of good stuff. And and if you'd like me to come back at another day to talk about something else and blah blah blah, I'm happy to do it. It's, it's, it's good times. It's fun. Yeah. No. I mean, we have had. There's a, a small select group of people. There's a three people now. I think we've had on the podcast more than once. And you know, it, it's you know, it's all it is is you know, when you guys, if you you know, debut something new. That you know, see it at IAPA, and yeah. you know, it's it, that, that's kind of the kind of thing that I'll, that I could see definitely having you on again, and very likely. So you, I'm available whenever you wish, right? And so we really appreciate it. It was really fun. Nice so, absolutely, absolutely. So, kind of to wrap things up in a neat, you know, nice wrapping with a bow on it and all that. Uh, we always like to ask the one kind of last main question, and we'll kind of have a little promotional stuff at the end. Uh, and that last main question is, and this could be, you know, you know, you're talking about getting, you know, you, you gave a good piece of advice there about, hey, if you want to experience the bulk coaster, if you don't have the time, if you have the money or, you know, look for cheap, cheap ways, you know, just get off the, the ship for work reasons and fly back and you can plan that in advance too because you know where the ship's going to go. That was a great example of advice. But if you want to share advice about along those lines or advice about theme park therapy or facing your fears, you know, um, the people that need the theme park therapy the most, like I was telling you my story before we started recording about a depression that I was in and going to Disneyland, how that really helped me recover, helped me get that theme park therapy before I knew even theme park therapy was a thing years ago. You know, um, people with depression and anxiety and, and stress, which is a form of anxiety, you know, um, they need this help. So if you have, have any words of wisdom in any of those areas, feel free to share those now. Oh, I, I think we hit on it pretty good earlier. There wouldn't be much I would add to it. I, I personally have three words that I, I use that I've used in swimming. I've used it before speeches. I have it. I haven't really used it before coaster, but I guess you could do it. I, in my head, I, I when I'm ready to give it my all in a swim meet or, or do a really good speech, I, the last things I say in front of my head is, let's do this. And I walk in and do it. Let's do this. 
And that works for me. So maybe have your your version of let's do this and go and go go do it. Right. And 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 take that next step and go go do your best and let the cards fall where they may. And and hopefully if that's a fear that you you know that you wanted to overcome, great. And if if you don't do it this day, well, there's always tomorrow. Try it again the next day, right? And, and, and until you get it done. And so yeah. find your mantra. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be my you know, once again, it, it never fails. <laughs> uh, and, and I and I know that a lot of people that um, when they're a guest on the show, they haven't necessarily listened to previous interviews or many of them, if at all. And that and that's to be expected. Mm -hmm. So there's no that oftentimes there's no inadvertent cheating, so to speak, with this question. But what I'm getting at is and we talk about this a lot is. Yeah, again, we're well over 100 interviews in now, and it seems like each each person is given a unique answer to that question, which if it wasn't that way, that's fine. In the other case, if someone has similar advice, I think, wow, that's reinforcement. That's like really good advice. But it's kind of cool to see this unique advice to get this increasing large swath. Uh, of different different recommendations that our, our listeners and the rest of us that even produce the show can can use and you know it's like just do it but you know having a mantra i don't think anyone's even suggested a mantra before they've suggested you know how to look at things or whatnot but something to say in your head yeah and you know what? it's very powerful because mantras are about pop you know what they well they generally are about and this is about positivity about having a positive attitude in that moment Right before that that public speech, or yeah, you got to get your head in the right. You got to get yeah. your head in the right spot before you do a lot of things, and that'll help you succeed. And and, and so, well, I, I have a mantra. Maybe that'll help some somebody else, right? And so, find yours. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, yeah, just wow, it's very impressive, very very powerful. So, well, you know, again, Steve, thank you so much. This has been wonderful and. Um, <laughs> You you definitely I, I've never had a bad interview, quite frankly, but uh, they've always been great. But you know, every each interview, and you certainly are one of them as well, have earned kind of this last one, which is your chance to promote yourself, and of course to promote Mauer. I mean, you've been talking about Mauer, but hmm. basically, what I'm getting at is, if you want to share, you know, so, some of these, some of the people that work for the for the in the industry, they like to put themselves out more than others. Uh, you know, like Mike Aiello and. Uh, uh, you know, and he's a good example. But, you know, if you have your, you know, if you want to share your personal Instagram, Facebook, that's fine. If you don't, I totally get it. But certainly, I'm sure you, besides that, in, or in addition to that, you would definitely would want to promote, you know, how people can find, learn more about Mauer. So please share away, you know, website, Instagram, you know, social media, et cetera. Yeah. Um, for me personally, the best way is just you can find my my email for work is s.boney at Mauer dash rides.de which i make fun of because that's the most complicated long german email address that nobody would have <laughs> it is <laughs> let me do that again because it's really difficult yeah, please s for steve dot bony b-o-n-e-y at mauer hyphen or dash rides dot de for deutschland germany only a German engineer would think, yeah, that's a good one. Everyone can get that, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that's now that you've got it, you can find me there. Um, that's the best way. And then as far as Mauer, they've got a really good website, Mauer-Rides. You can just you can just Google Mauer Rides and it'll come up immediately. Also, I would just encourage somebody, if they want to look at some of the Mauer videos, 
go to YouTube and hit Malware Rides, and there's quite a great portfolio from, we were talking about Mirabalandia, we were talking about the shifts, there's a lot of example rides from Spike and Spike Fun on there. So you'll have a fun time just going through the YouTube stuff if you uh, if you prefer that format. And so that's where I would say to, to come find us. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. People can check that out. Uh, I was checking out your website actually before the interview to kind of prepare for it. And, and uh, but yeah, no, that's awesome. You guys do have a good website. I agree with that. Well, thank you again for taking the time. I know you're busy. You know, us sales guys are very busy, um, you know, traveling and everything else. So thank you for taking the time to speak to me. It was a really, really great discussion. I really appreciate you're it. You're welcome. I had a lot of fun and I appreciate your entire evenings. And uh, thank you for anyone who was out there listening to us today. So thank you as well. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you want to see more of us, we upload every Friday. Be sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links are in the description below. Thanks for joining us here today.